everybody, and welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and here we are again at the birth of another Marvel movie. And I do mean birth because this movie is, uh, in, in a word, changing the game. Uh, and in order to discuss this fully and to its maximum, I have uh, treasured guest Sarah Hedrick here with <laughs> us. Sarah, welcome back. We had you on the Black Widow uh, episode back in July. Uh, super excited to be talking Eternals with you on this one. Yes, I'm, I'm so excited to be back. Um, very excited to dig into this. Yeah, I know when we had talked about this a while ago, uh, just the amount of I didn't personally realize the amount of tie-ins that we would get from the comics. And that's something that we'll talk about. And so I would say to uh, listeners of the show, our last episode that we had on here uh, was myself and our uh, frequent guest, Robert, talking about the uh, uh, Kieran Gillen Eternals run, along with a little bit on the Neil Gaiman run. And we mentioned in there that there were no spoilers. And I will say this. Uh, we are talking full spoilers for the Eternals movie on this. And in doing so, I can reveal there are actually are a lot of spoilers from the <laughs> comics uh, if you're looking. So we'll call those out here. Um, the other thing as well, if you're interested, is uh, we'll and we'll talk about it as we get further down the line. But um, we have a couple of episodes on the podcast already around Chloe Jaw and around Terrence Malick, which is something that we will be talking about as we get there. Sarah, I know you and I are both huge fans of Terrence Malick and now probably of Chloe Jaw as well. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah, I can't wait to dive into this. So uh, we've got a long list of things to do on here. Uh, <laughs> please buckle in. Uh, we may be here for a while and hopefully you guys enjoy every minute of this. So as we get started, first things first, Sarah, we'll start with you. What did you think of this movie? What were your overall thoughts? And uh, how, how was the movie going experience for you? Oh, man. I loved, loved, loved this movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, you and I both have three viewings under our belts now, I think. Yep. Um, I, I absolutely loved it. I think looking back in you know, a few years or even a year from now, maybe, I think this is going to be a turning point in the MCU going forward in, in so many ways. Yeah. Um, and I love Chloe Zhao. I hope we get more of her. I hope she doesn't go away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I need more like this in the MCU. Yeah, I, uh, it's funny. I'm sure we'll have some differing opinions on certain things, but that's, that's the one thing I know. I think a few of us have kind of talked about is just, we, we say this after every movie. And this was something I was thinking about this morning was I remember you and I had talked about in Black Widow. We were like, I bet you, you know, we, we were very on the fence about that movie when it came out and it, it was yeah. good. We enjoyed it for what it was. There were a lot of nitpicks that we had as well, but we had said, I wonder if over time this movie will still be really good and, and will yeah. perhaps even be really in, even better. And uh, I don't know about you, but I don't think that's come to pass yet. And every time that I've watched it again, there's still those parts that I really like. And like I said, overall, it, it's a movie that I, I would always be happy to put on but I'm not, I don't find myself liking it more each time that I watch it. I'm just yeah. like, yep, that's about what I thought it was. Yeah. And this movie feels like something that, at least for me so far, every time I've watched it, I've liked it more. And every time I, I like it more when I'm not watching it and I'm yes. thinking <laughs> about it and I'm like, 
oh, I forgot about this piece. And oh, I forgot about that piece. And so I really do feel like because of the scope of this film and the just sheer sweeping vastness of it, along with it being so intimate, there's just so much in it that you can't appreciate, not only on one viewing, but like in a short amount of time. Like I, I was even thinking about this. And, and so we'll get this out of the way, dear listeners. Uh, I don't know where to rank this movie. And I have a, I, all I can say is it's one of my favorite Marvel movies, hands down. But I don't know where it falls because there's, it just feels like this, this sort of thing that I need to reassess in like a year because I need that much time to continuously soak this in and really think about the connections it's going to have to the future because it, yeah. it, it connects to so many things and it, it, it plants seeds pun intended we'll be talking about those seeds a lot in this episode but you, you don't see any of that really come to term in this movie so there's a lot of it that I feel like is going to happen in the future but yeah. we still get so much in here so that's I guess the the quickest review I can provide is I just I was blown away and yeah in terms of uh, viewings yes saw it three times uh, I was lucky enough to go to the uh the Fobo fan screening on Wednesday night uh and saw that in a Dolby theater which was great. I was nervous. It was going to be in, you know, some faux IMAX theater and I love Dolby. Uh, but then on Thursday night, I got to see it in IMAX and it was an actual IMAX screen. So the seats were super comfy. And honestly, I liked it better in that IMAX screening than I did in the Dolby screening. Because then I saw it in Dolby again yesterday and same thing, still great. But there were a couple of spots where I was like, I remember that being just a little better in IMAX, which is, again, I've never said before. So shout out to, that's the United Artist on Colorado Boulevard here in Denver. Uh, but yeah, so if you can find an actual IMAX theater, check it out in IMAX is what I would say for this one. Um, yep. But yeah, so overall, loved this film. Again, I don't know if I can even put a rating on it. I have it sitting at a nine out of 10 right now, but I keep going like, but isn't it? A, it feels like a 10. But, I, but again, I, I just it needs more time to simmer. It needs more time to yeah. sit. Just like the timeline in this movie. There's a long amount of time that I think we're going to need to appreciate this film. Yeah. So in doing so, let's dive into the way we always do. Let's start talking about the cast and crew of this film. Uh, so written and directed, written by multiple people, but written and directed by the Chloe Zhao, famous for Nomadland, The Rider, and Songs My Brother Taught Me, a uh, very independent filmmaker that was uh, inspired by Terrence Malick. And as we, we found out as well, inspired a bit by Zack Snyder, which is amazing because uh, I, I can't speak for every podcast, but here on Comics and Cinema, uh, we are Snyder fans here. And uh, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn for you, Sarah. No, no. I, I, Man of Steel is is one of my top DC movies. I And I mean, we'll talk about it later, but yeah. you totally can see the inspiration here, in mm -hmm. this, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, what I was going to say earlier, too, is, is for those of you saying, OK, who is Terrence Malick or what more has Chloe Zhao done? Uh, we do have episode 147 of the podcast for Nomadland we reviewed uh, earlier this year. And then also episode 171, where we talked about on the 10th anniversary Tree of Life, which is uh, my favorite Terrence Malick movie, I think might be your favorite as well. Sarah. Yes, uh, it's okay, one of my cool. favorite films. Yeah, it, that yeah. movie actually sets at the very top of my movies, yeah. which is, is so weird because, again, it's like with Eternals where you've got like, OK, Avengers Endgame is one of the best movies ever. But then when you look at it against Tree of Life, it's like they're so different. But there's just a magic about Tree of Life in that same way. And so for those of you wanting to kind of understand more about what inspires Chloe, uh, watch some of Terry's movies. 
and uh, especially Tree of Life, you'll get that immediately because oh, yeah. it almost plays like an Eternals film yep. in real life. And if you were able to find it, uh, his other documentary, sort of semi-documentary film, uh, Voyage of Time, which also has a lot of space, you know, photos of the sun. So no, Chloe did an absolutely phenomenal job. This is her first thing in Marvel. And uh, we talked about just a little bit earlier that uh, she apparently had a pitch that was so amazing. Kevin Feige just was like, all right, here we go. We've got it. Let's go. And we were always curious about what that was. And she revealed uh, in an interview with IGN that she basically put up a presentation about a macro view of sand and recited a uh, Robert Blake poem about essentially, you know, the vastness of the universe can be appreciated by looking at a grain of sand and, and the cosmos can be dwindled down to just a like a petal of a flower that you can view these these giant big things again, in that intimacy of something so small. And so I could totally see where Kevin and, and Marvel Studios Parliament were like, get her on this right now. We need to lock <laughs> her in. And that's the, the funny thing is you go, oh, you know, Marvel's always trying to get these new up and coming directors, yada, 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 these Oscar winners. They got her before she won her Oscar. And they got her at the almost same time, I think, if I remember, that she was making Nomadland. Yeah. And yep. they said, okay, we'll, we'll be patient. We'll wait. Cause she was like, Hey, I would love to do this. Here's my pitch, but I'm making Nomadland right now. Or so, something happened that may have been due to the pandemic. She started making Nomadland instead. And they were like, Hey, we'll, we'll be patient. We'll wait, which is saying a lot. The only other time I've ever heard of that happening. And I think it was the only time. Cause I've, I've been reading the uh, Marvel studios, 10 years book was with Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, they yeah. wanted him to be Dr. Strange. And at that time he was filming, uh, it was either his Sherlock show Sherlock. and they said, okay, we'll push the, we'll delay the film in order to get you to be on the film. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's just saying a lot when they believe in her as much as, as much as they clearly did and let her make this be a Chloe Jean movie. Like you can see it in almost every single shot that this is her stamp is on this. Mm-hmm. So uh, we got that, uh, but this is the other interesting piece, which is um, the writing credits on this is she's listed on this twice. And we, uh, we were talking about this before the recording as well. I don't know what that means. I tried to Google it listeners and I apparently have to have a Quora account and I do not want to sign up for another <laughs> account. Uh, but so if you, if you'll see it, if you caught this, when you were watching the movie, it says screenplay by Chloe Jaw and Chloe Jaw ampersand Patrick Burley and Ryan Furpo uh, ampersand Kaz Furpo. So I don't know why they listed her twice. I, I, the only thing I can think is a screenwriter so nice you list her twice, but uh, I honestly <laughs> don't know the answer to it. But it, uh, just cool to see again that she had her hand in the writing as well. Um, so there's that piece, and then also the th we wanted to call out as well Raman Jwadi. Uh, did the score for this movie uh, for anyone uh, who likes Easter eggs and probably already knew this. He also did the score for Iron Man, the original, the first Iron Man movie. And he, uh, Iron Man who? I, <laughs> this, <laughs> this score was so good. I have, I have it on my Apple music and I downloaded it on Spotify. So whether I'm gaming or doing anything else, I've, I've listened to this album at least five times already all the way through. It is it's amazing. You've got very big sweeping orchestral scores, but then you also have the Dune type ah, yes. in, in, in yeah. certain spots as well. Like when uh, at the end with Icarus, they do that, which is yeah. funny that they say it that way, 
because it sounds a little Superman-y because of Kal-El and uh, isn't his father Jal-El as well? Yeah. Uh, something like that or Jor-El, but well, just yeah. freaking cool. They, they, they've got drums in there that he's got. Uh, there's like some little guitar pieces in certain ones. And then the, even the best part too, and I'll make sure so we can call out the uh, the singer, but at the very end of the soundtrack is Nashmere Hero, which is mm-hmm. the song played during Kingo scene by Selena Sharma. And uh, that song is also, I even when I was I listening it. to it, I, I had seen the movie, I think uh, only once at that time, or maybe it was the first two times, but I started listening to it when that score came on, I started dancing like Kingo. I was like, yeah. Ooh, like this is that scene from the movie. I was, I felt so cool while I was doing it. That is the sign of an amazing score and amazing. Yeah. What did you think of the music? I, I, I loved it. I am like tree of life uh, that I, I love the big choral pieces with like the cosmic visual theme. Like I just, I love it. And so um, I also like the individual character themes um, like crows crows whenever he was like on his way to the screen or appearing on screen it was I don't know what instrument it was or if it was just like a synthesized computer sound but it sounded like an alarm it it, it, yes it's it's so good it's so good you know it Um, reminded me a little bit of the score from annihilation which i believe is ben salisbury but just that whole like like you said the where like you know something bad's coming but it's but at the same time it's very uh ancient in in terms of like it's like the bad thing is coming sound the horn like a lord of the rings type you know the the horn of gondor sort of thing where they you know pump something out and it's like oh my god here it comes yes yeah Uh, okay yeah uh but yeah yeah so great the music is amazing and then the other piece we wanted to call out too is the cinematography by ben davis is uh and you know it's funny i didn't see it on here and uh or yeah no the music by ramen but I wanted to call out the, the soundtrack as well. There's some yeah. really good songs on this. It's funny. I, I do this uh, thousand and one albums with my family where every day you get a new album uh, from this allegedly the thousand and one albums you need to listen to before you die. And uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon was on it. And I was so excited because I'd never f- fully listened to that album and I'd always wanted to. And so after I listened to it, I went straight to the store the next time I was at the movies and I, I bought, they, they had a used copy of the CD for like three bucks. And that song Time is on that album. And for them to open up, like not just it being a Pink Floyd song, but the way that, uh, you know, the film opens with the birth of civilization and it's got the like, doo-doo. and like the it's just very light very uh very ancient and then the you know the chorus comes and it's like yeah yeah yeah, that's the and it's called time so that's literally i mean that's one of the key tenets of this movie is the the discussion of time and like the effects of time having on uh, a person's mind and on their beliefs but there's that song the song uh that was playing with king goes playing the bts song i think it's called favorite Apparently her closure was a huge fan of BTS, which is nice <laughs> to hear a fellow K-pop fan. Um, but then there was, uh, they played the end of the world song that's from the trailers, which I thought was a perfect spot for it to be put. I liked that a lot. And, uh, but then we also had, and we'll get to this at the very end of the movie as well, but they had the foreigner song 
feels like the first time on here. And I, I'm very curious to hear from your side why you think they chose that song. But, but yeah, so what'd you think of the soundtrack? I loved the soundtrack. Um, I loved the Lizzo ringtone. Oh, um, okay. I didn't I, know that was Lizzo. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I love uh, I love that there is so much of Chloe's like nerdiness and fandom in this movie. I think it's very endearing. Um, but yeah, it, it, it fits. This is probably one of my, next to Guardians, this is probably one of my favorite MCU soundtracks. Oh yeah, that's a, I, I would agree with that. I, yeah, it's got some really good songs. Yeah. That's a good point. I wonder if she was inspired by that a bit uh, of, you know, oh, I can, cause I think that's something that maybe some filmmakers don't realize. Cause I know like you got with like Black Panther, for example, I was reading in the book that Kendrick basically came up with that album by himself. They, they had asked if he could come up with a song or two for this, for the thing. And he was like, let me get back with you. I'm on tour. And when they got back with him, cause they weren't hearing from him, they're like, what's going on? And they came back and he was like, here's a whole album. And they were like, what? And he had like gotten all of the people that were on there, all the other guest artists, he had got them all for that. And then you've got the Shang-Chi soundtrack as well, where they had all the specially created songs. But I feel like a lot of them don't realize you can pull music like, yeah. uh, like, like the Guardian soundtrack. And that's a very James Gunn thing of like having your own soundtrack. But again, it's, it doesn't have to just be a James Gunn thing. Anybody could do that. Like if you're feeling a song and you're like, this would be perfect in the movie, put it in the movie. I mean, Marvel's got a billion dollars. They can afford to pay a little bit to have a Pink Floyd song in there. So yeah, I love that. Yeah. I thought that was great. Uh, okay, cool. So from there, let's jump into the cast and then we'll dive into this movie. So uh, I was talking with you about this as well. This has been a big thing that people have been talking about is ranking your Eternals characters. <laughs> and I can't do it. It, it is, I, I just can't. And so I said, you know, I was thinking about it today. I know who my favorite is and I know who my least favorite is, but everyone else is is the same in the middle. They're all my favorite. And so Sorry. I know I, I got invited to be on the uh, Earth's Mightiest Weirdos Eternals episode tomorrow, actually on Monday uh, on their YouTube page. And one of them things is going to be ranking them. And so I was like, it's probably going to be a game time decision. And I will preface yeah. on there that like, this is an in the moment choice. I reserve my right to change it. Uh, but I would say my, my favorite character of all of them was Makari. And oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, she was just incredible. And then my least favorite, which is still, I did not like them, but my least favorite was Sprite. Man. Yeah. And I, like I said, it's hard to say it because I still really liked everything that she did. But if we're if we're splitting the tiniest of hairs, then that would be my pick. I yeah, I mean, I think Icarus is probably at the bottom of my list, but mm, yep, yeah, but and Ajax. Sprite, it, it's it's hard because we both have a comics background. I I think judging her just on the movie. Oh man, yeah, it's I. She's she's probably in my bottom, like bottom two. It's yeah, probably man. And now I'm actually thinking maybe it's Ajax, because she. Maybe? I would say yeah, but again, we're gonna we're gonna dive into this. We're gonna talk about okay. it because, like I said, I it's just so hard to do it. So let's just start from the top. I've got the IMDb cast okay. on here as well. We have Gemma Chan as Cersei. Uh, Gemma Chan, as you all may be aware, played Minerva in Captain Marvel, covered in blue. She is also very famous for 
uh, Crazy Rich Asians. And I'm going to pull it up because there was a couple of other things that I had seen her in as well. Um, we'll see if, oh, she was, she was a voice of uh, Namari in Rhea in The Last Dragon. And then there was, a, uh, oh, she was in the Watership Down TV miniseries. Mar- oh, she was in Mary Queen of Scots. And was Trans- she really? Yes. And Transformers The Last Night. I was like, yeah, there's two others that I think I'd seen her in. And Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them as oh, Madame wow. Yajo. Okay. Uh, yeah. So she's, I would say, still an up and comer. I don't think she's been in a ton of things. Uh, she's got 47 credits to her name, but she has definitely blown up in the last oh, few years yeah, for sure, yeah. especially after Crazy Rich Asians. Everyone, yeah. everyone basically agrees she's like the most beautiful woman on the planet. Uh, and I certainly wouldn't argue against anyone no. saying that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so what did you think of Cersei as a character? I I think, and this might be a little bit of a hot take in a good way. I think that when we look back on this movie, it is going to feel more and more like a Cersei origin story. And yeah. I say that because after after the third rewatch, <laughs> um, it I like her character. I mean, I liked her in the first the the first go round, but she gets better and better with every with every rewatch. Um, I really like Gemma Chan. I think she's very talented. I think she's gorgeous. Um, I think Chloe's decision to bring her back for this, to recast her, um, I I think that is going to pay off in dividends moving forward. Um, I liked her. She's my number two behind Makari. Nice. Yes. So I, I, because I mean, this was about her coming into her power um and harnessing it learning how to use it there's also you know she has to overcome the uh i i used (laughs) i used the word gaslight in my in my notes because there are parts where icarus does try to gaslight her He, he he says i'm worried about you cersei i won't be able to protect you um, and the whole the whole mad weary bit too where he's exactly. like are you sure you spoke with Arisham? Yep. yeah and are so you sure she, you spoke with Arisham? <laughs> yes yeah Ooh, that's good i'm trying um, practicing <laughs> so i i think i i just i loved her being able to overcome that um and own her power i i loved it i loved her yeah there was a there was a definite feel going into this movie of like I love that there's no main character, right? That there's, you know, we've got a a cast of 10. This is essentially you getting your Avengers movie right out the gate. This is the DC method of let's, let's make a justice league movie. And then we'll make solo movies later. They're making an Eternals movie and we don't know what's going to happen next. I doubt they'll go that route though, because they're, they're much smarter than that, but you get that all in this film. So I was of the expectation. Yeah. We'll probably get equal amounts for everybody. That's fine. But you really do. I mean, the movie, the movie starts the first person you see is Ajax. Mm-hmm. she's the leader that makes sense but you get that focus scene with uh her and icarus looking out at the earth and that's the first real like shot of people that you get in terms of them interacting with each other mm-hmm. and then when the marvel credits roll she's the first person that you see and she is the human story that you're following you're i mean you sort of follow sprite in a sense 
but you're following Cersei. She's the one that brings everybody together. And then by the end of the film, she's the one that closes everything out as well. So Mm -hmm. in a sense, she's the lead of this movie. And I know you had talked about that too. That's so unexpected in the best way to say, we have an Asian female as a lead of a Marvel movie. And yet, okay, fine. You know, the movie's called Eternals, but this is, this is a big arguably very big step for marvel i think for for diversity in terms of that we knew that was coming anyway right we knew it with the cast announcement but they swung for the fences in this movie to say and and again another shout out to that that marvel studios book they had been planning a black panther movie since 2010 they had been planning an eternals movie since like 2014 literally every single time what was holding them back was the creative committee in new york because they kept saying a female character would not sell toys. No one's going to want to see a female character. They were going to have Maya Hansen be the female lead in Iron Man 3 as the villain. They were going to have Hela be the villain in Thor The Dark World. And every single time they're getting poo-pooed from these toy people saying, no really wants a toy. Yeah. And so you, you get, you know, and then you get everyone bad-mouthing Marvel. And I, I get it. I'm, I'm, and I'm getting onto a little bit of a soapbox here, but I was someone who had always said, I talked about this with David before we went and saw our first showing. I was telling him like, everyone gives Marvel crap for that, but I've always stood up for Marvel because I said, they're following the comics. And, and in a sense, the comics are that way anyway. You had to start with the OGs and it just so happens that those OGs are all white men. But once you establish those characters in the universe and then say there is a much wider universe to be had that has so many diverse characters and just like they thought back in 2010 saying, let's have a Black Panther movie, let's have a a Captain Marvel movie, um, they just got held back by it. And now they are like Captain Marvel, not having their hands tied behind their backs so they can make up for all of that. But in the same sense, it doesn't feel like they're making up for it. It feels like this is the natural progression of the MCU is that, okay, yeah, fine. A couple of you know white male people were there at that time, but you probably didn't know that this giant diverse cast was there 5,000 years before any of the Avengers were. And not only that within the universe, but you're looking at that without, outside of the universe. So to see them say, okay, yeah, this isn't a, a female titled movie like Captain Marvel or Ant-Man and the Wasp, but we're still just going to casually give you the Asian female lead in this movie. It's like that to me is the perfect message to set for them to say, yeah, Chloe, do whatever you want. If that's what you want the lead to be cool. Awesome. Do it. And it makes sense because you still get the other characters throughout to say during this half of the movie, Kingo is the lead during this other half. It's Icarus, but, but, generally overall it's Cersei so yeah I totally agree I came out of my first viewing kind of on the fence about her because uh, again it was the first viewing but the more that I've seen it uh, I put a little note in for each of these characters of like what their their uh, kind of their factor is in the film and so for Cersei it was her love for humanity and Mm -hmm. so you're getting to see that which is again a very unique uh, look at somebody because she has a different approach to that than any Avenger ever could because she's been around for for seven, well, she's been around for millions of years. And so you can have someone say, yeah, I want to save people because it's right. She legitimately loves humanity. And it's ironic because I'm sure some people, including, well, my brother did say this, but he's like, so, you know, oh, what's so special about Earth? He's like, why, why do humans need to be saved? Because obviously we're in a very cynical time in society right now, but it's like, yeah. that's what she sees past. And Ajak talks about that of like, yeah, they're, you know, they kill and they hurt, but they also laugh and they love. And I just love that Cersei is this embodiment 
of loving humanity, even with their flaws. And she even learns that she goes through a journey of that because multiple times, I feel like she questions who she is in a sense. And there's like that really great conversation she has with Kingo or not Kingo, I'm sorry, with Druid, where he's explaining, like, I could have taken over everyone's mind on the planet, but I didn't because, you know, they're humans and, you know, they have to have flaws. And so there's, there's just a lot there. Uh, and I hope I'm not rambling, but yeah, I loved Cersei. I thought she was amazing. Yep. Yep. And the first thing that you see her say is when she's looking at earth and she yes. says it's beautiful, isn't it? So yeah. like, I mean, immediately she loves, she loves humanity, the plant. She loves everything about it. Yep. And she's, she's invested as Darcy would say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but I loved, I loved the, um, I don't want to call it B-roll because it's not B-roll, but all of the footage that you see of her serving humanity, like she's cooking with the women, she's doing the little girl's hair, she's helping the farmers, she's watering and planting the crop. I mean, she, she's, she's a servant, which is, uh, I just, there's no greater love, you know? And it's coming from a straight place of love too, because you've got that bit with Fastos trying to create the steam engine. And, uh, and instead he's forced to create the plow. What does Cersei say? She immediately finds the silver lining. She's like, oh, there's actually people who are starting to do that up there. This would be perfect for them. And it's like, and he says, thank you, Cersei. But it's like, she immediately is like, oh, this is perfect. Like, thank you. The the humans are going to love this. And it's like, (laughs) she really is the mouth of humanity in a sense. Mm -hmm. And God, that's, it's, it is, it's really nice to think back on that. And it's funny too, that she she is a giver in that sense. And you see it book ended on both ends of the film of her giving, you've got the beautiful uh, scope shot of uh, a, it's a close up of her hand and the Mesopotamian child's hand uh, as he goes to grab the knife in the sunset. And then at the very end of the movie, you have Sprite going to put her hand on Cersei's hand with the sunset. And so it's just this idea of the gods touching humanity in that same sense of the that famous painting where they're touching fingers or whatever because yeah. she's doing the same thing for sprite at the end it, you know and we'll, we'll get to that but uh it is it, it's when you look at it like that again you're just like how did chloe pull this off <laughs> like and, and again you can i can see why people would criticize it because they you know they, they don't have the time to kind of devote to thinking that way because they wanted an action movie and it's like how beautiful is that though? You've gotten, you've gotten in a go see Avengers Endgame if you want your, your action movie yeah. or more appropriately go see Infinity War. But uh, this is not that, this is a, uh, uh, an epic is, mm-hmm. and I think we talked about that too, of like what, what kind of genre this movie is. And it really is just, it's an epic. It's like this sweeping story that you have no choice, but to just buckle up and watch and enjoy as you go, because mm-hmm. yeah, the action's there. And when it is there, it's insane, but there's a lot of slowness and, uh, stillness to this movie and I think a lot of those scenes do happen to be with Cersei as well and we'll get to one too one of my favorite scenes in the movie with Cersei when she's back at uh, um, Gilgamesh's place about to communicate with um, Erishim but there's just a shot there that is just immaculate uh, but okay so Cersei fantastic we love her that's great uh, next up is Icarus and if you're looking for the definition of opposites attracting look no further than that opening scene of Cersei uh, looking out at Earth and saying, isn't it beautiful? It's beautiful, isn't it? And he looks at her and what does Icarus say in response? 
I'm Icarus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Which is funny. When I first saw that, I was like, damn, dude. But but it goes so (laughs) perfectly with his character because he is very self-absorbed. In a, in a completely normal way for the way that that is like he's just he's a servant of Erisham and he's that's all he is I'm Icarus and I serve Erisham and that you kind of have to have that in this deconstruction of the superhero because he is Superman and uh, we can talk about that now I mean there's a scene in that and in in towards the end as well or, or when we meet with Fastos's family but he really is Superman he shoots beams out of his eyes he flies he's super strong it's everything about Superman and so kind of like she's saying with Zack Snyder's uh, Man of Steel, you're deconstructing Superman in a sense. And so she made the perfect choices with him in this movie because he's a very noble person. There's a specific scene when he is um, saving some people in Babylon and he speaks in the language, the Babylonian language to the girl and says, you have nothing to be afraid of or something like that. And it's like, he does care. Like he, he wants to save these people He's just able to step away from that and say, okay, but we have a greater mission here. Like, I know what I need to be doing. Uh, my thing for him, his defining trait is his radical faith, is what I put down as. Is he's, he is the definition of a zealot. And I love that because that's kind of the character of Icarus in terms of the person who flew too close to the sun that they... They wanted to, I guess maybe it's not exactly that, you know, translated, but what did you think of Icarus? Um, yeah, I, I mean, he's, <laughs> I feel like I've known a lot of Icaruses <laughs> in my life, uh, mm-hmm. coming, from, <laughs> coming from a very religious background. I mean, Kingo says it at the end that we all followed our hearts, even Icarus, yep. and you know, you said it while we were talking before, um, before we started recording, but there are no villains really in this movie. And I don't, I I don't think we can fairly call Icarus a villain because he was, he was serving God. He was serving his God. And I think there are a lot of people that can identify with that. I, the part that, that I didn't even have a problem with that as much as I had a problem with him trying to gaslight Cersei. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, uh, but that I mean, made, made sense for his character at that time it, though. Cause yeah. And, and it's, I didn't catch this till the third viewing, but when you get to that scene where it says six days ago, and then she says the emergence is in seven days, you're thinking, so you, you realize that during the present day, that is when the emergence, like, cause you know, she's like, Oh, the emergence is happening. It's like, Icarus should have known because he knew yeah. six days ago, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, he, yeah. from that point, I, I feel like that moment uh, when, um, uh, when Ajax said that, told him everything, that was almost like his breaking point, I think. And I think from there, that was when he was like, okay, I'm full steam ahead. I am the new leader that's going to save this group. And from there, that's when all the gaslighting starts because every scene we see with him and Cersei before that, he doesn't at all. He's like, yeah. he says, I'm yours and I'm learning this language because I want to be closer to you. So like he's doing everything for her, but it isn't until he learns the truth that he, le- he leaves her as well. Like he changes when he finds out what the true purpose of their mission is because he knows that he has to obey that mission. And again, that's the the sadness of religious zealots because it's so easy to paint them as bad guys because society has always taught us to do that, whether that's uh, with Islam or with Christianity, whatever that is, zealots aren't good people in that sense, right? We've always been taught that. But 
it's not that they're bad people either. They're just misguided and they're confused and they're, they're so obsessed with this thing because that's what's giving them meaning. And if they lose that, they don't have anything else and, and that they have to hang on to it as tight as possible. And yeah. so in that sense, he, he's a very, just like Icarus, he's a very tragic hero. So yeah. sad, <laughs> but also screw him because. <laughs> well, and that's, that, that's why one of my favorite moments in the film is at the end when he says, I'm sorry. And you can see his, like, just how conflicted. So, yeah. Richard Madness is, is fantastic. Yeah. Um, but you can see how conflicted, like, his heart is truly breaking, but you don't know if it's for Cersei or because he just helped kill God. His, you know, right. like, he just. Exactly. Oh, it's so. It, it's and, but that's, like, and that's the dichotomy of this movie. Yes, and the beauty yes. of this film is that you have these sweeping pieces of killing God with the intimate moments of a two, like a person in person relationship. And you're able to balance that and have that question of what is it that he's truly sad about? Because he conveys so much in that scene with no words and she doesn't even say anything to him. And, and best part about it too, in terms of empowerment, he apologizes to her. And what does she say to him? Does she say, I forgive you? She says, I know. She says, I know. And I was like, what a perfect line back because yeah. she does not need to be forgiving him for what he did. No. And, uh, but then, yeah, he's like, you know, I know, I know I messed up. So I'm just going to go, I'm going to go now. I'm going to go redeem myself. It's like, okay, okay, dude. Uh, but yeah, so yes, Icarus, phenomenal, awesome, great. Uh, next up on my list here I have is Makari. Ah, Makari. Okay, so yeah, played by uh, Lauren Ridloff, I believe. Yeah, Lauren Ridloff, who also, who's actually deaf in real life, uh, which is, you know, I'm saying great, but great in terms of the casting that they actually are casting, you know, someone who is deaf, but also she's in Sound of Metal. If any of you haven't seen that, highly recommend it. It's free on Amazon, phenomenal movie. Uh, she's also in Walking Dead, which I haven't seen. I've seen like two episodes of Walking Dead, but uh she is transcendent in this movie. And there's, I'm going to give a shout out here to uh, our good buddy, Ryan. Uh, when we were talking the first night out, we were just both talking. He also was saying that this was his favorite character. And he had this really great point that I, I couldn't articulate at the time because I was like, I felt that exact same way, but he put it into words. He was like, anytime that she's on screen, the fact that she's using sign language and the way that they do it, typically there isn't any music. Everything goes silent and you see the letters very big on the screen that she just commands your attention every single time that she talks. And it yeah. is so cool to see, like there wasn't a single person in any showing that I was in that was like, Oh, come on. Or, you know, that, that was upset by it. The theater was just dead silent as she, or they would, there would be giggling when she would say something funny. And it was just like, how cool is that to where, you know, Oh, you know, we're, we're anti-diversity, but when it's on the screen, it's like, Oh, that's actually pretty damn cool. Yes. Because not only is she doing that, but she's also kicking absolute ass. And there was a uh, there's a really great clip that <laughs> played. Uh, so in in my second showing, the the Thursday night showing in the IMAX, we got a trailer for the Eternals. Okay, before the trailer for the Eternals, there were some behind the scenes, and Gemma Chan, it was either Gemma or Chloe, were talking about five of the Eternals are the thinkers, and five of them are the doers. And so they, or the warriors is what they said. And so they had the list being um, the, the thinkers, Ajak, uh, Cersei, um, what would it have been, Druig, and Fastos, 
and then uh who is the last one uh well okay so what the so, and sprite yes warriors being ajak gilgamesh makari uh athena and kingo and i just love that they have makari listed in the warrior section because yeah. she i mean i was surprised they didn't put fastos in the warrior section but it makes sense because uh, but she's just amazing everything about her was perfect the thing that i have with her for hers her through line in the film is the emerald tablets because uh, I was thinking back, I was like, you know, she doesn't really have that much growth development throughout the film. She's the same person throughout, which is this, which is great, right? I, I liked it. You you could easily say that she wasn't as developed and, and I wouldn't argue against it because I would say, yeah. I want I want more McCarty. Yep. I would have loved to have a ton more McCarty, same. but I'm happy with what we got with her. Uh, but there's two scenes that she gets in this film around the Emerald Tablets. The first one is in Babylon and uh, she's looking for the Emerald Tablets. And these are these are these ancient tablets. Uh, I know about them from watching some some episodes on Gaia TV, which is a lot of stuff about like aliens, ancient civilizations. Apparently, these tablets were uh, a. I guess it was weird the way that they talked about them in Gaia. It was like they were, they contained a bunch of secrets about civilization. And I'm gonna mm -hmm. see if I. I'm pretty sure I took a screenshot. Yeah, um, but what they said in there was that. Uh, and then the second scene is closer towards the end. And it's that she actually has one of the Emerald tablets in, in the ship. The tablets apparently, allegedly when they were written, they were signed by an author. And that author was Hermes Trismegistus. And it says, uh, it is a legendary Hellenistic figure that originated as a syncretic combination of the Greek god Hermes and the Egyptian god Toth. Hermes is the god of speed. And Toth, and Toth is in, Makari's. In Neil Gaiman's run, Toth was Makari. Yeah. And so that is the, that is the reveal that I, I said that I was going to share with nice. you during this session is did she create those emerald tablets and <laughs> she's awesome. trying to get them back because That's there's something cool. on them because who like everyone would have thought it was her right she's the god of, she would have been thought of as hermes she would have been thought of as toth just the same as in the comics so maybe she created those tablets or something and she's been trying to get them back because we also see her reading a bunch so she's clearly yeah. like a, a reader a philosopher yeah. uh did you also notice that the shirt she was wearing was war of the worlds no that's awesome yeah it was a i think it was a french version because it was like get air day something but it was like it said hg wells on it uh that's really cool yeah so, so that's that. my guess on what her relationship is with those emerald tablets because okay. why else would they have put them in there yeah. because you don't really get a payoff for them i'm uh -huh. wondering if we're going to get a payoff later for them uh but yeah okay what did you think about makari sorry i don't want to ramble anymore <laughs> no that's okay well before i forget so the the only thing I know about the Emerald tab Tablets is that they're connected to like alchemy and yes. um, I, I read something about them uh, being connected to the Emerald Warlock, which has ties to Agatha Harkness and Scarlet mm. Witch and Merlin, who would tie in with Black Knight eventually. So... I don't, the thing that excites me about this movie is how many different directions the MCs yes, can yes. go from here. Um, but anyway, Makari, I love Lauren Ridloff. 
Um, I think there is something genuine. There is something so genuine and honest about her acting. Yes. Um, like her, I'm, I'm big on, I, I love theater. I love acting. It's what my degree is in. Um, I love watching actors eyes. I think that's where the honesty is and her eyes are just so like everything happens in her eyes and yeah. it's she's just she communicates with her hands yes but her face is just so genuine and sweet and real um she's so talented i'm so glad that we have her in the mcu i'm um, glad she didn't die either i know i know uh and that scene at the end where uh icarus hurts druig and she no. lets out this scream oh. i know my God. dev devastated and she does oh. the same thing when she gets blasted by him too yeah. uh and there's a opens a can of wood. oh yeah have it's you ever, so ever ever seen somebody punch so hard that they get <laughs> sent into a magma lava flow <laughs> And okay. so many different hits back and forth. Um, so there's a, there's a piece. There's two two pieces to that. I think one benefit of seeing this movie multiple times is she, her lines are so memorable that eventually yeah. I found myself just watching her while she spoke versus watching the subtitles. And so I got to see more of that that uh, story in her eyes. My favorite scene I think is at the end when Druig returns and she does this look where she's like. Like yeah. she, she, it's like, you can feel that feeling welling up inside of her and her eyes get really big, but it's almost like a, you've got to be kidding me. And I can't believe yeah. you're back. And then she just goes to him and I just, and we're going to get to that. We'll get to that in a bit, but just, yeah, I touch just, forehead. she, ugh, they touch for, I love that. I love that. They don't I kiss. Love I love that. There's nothing more than that, but they have it, the irony in this. And I, I think it's funny and I don't know if it was on purpose or not from Chloe, but the non-romantic, or I guess you would say the non-sexual relationships yep. were more interesting to me than the sexual relationships. Because yes. this is the first movie where we get a Marvel sex scene. Great. Uh, Lee, when we were in the theater, Lisa was like, I feel like Marvel doesn't do those a lot. And I was like, this was the first time that they did yeah. it. Uh, and so I get it. And it makes total sense because you have this epic relationship between Cersei and Icarus. And that's, that's a, the coolest part about it is like, cool, that, that makes sense that that would be the one that we see. But then you start seeing that like, yeah, you know, they were together for 5,000 years, but clearly they're not compatible in that way. Mm -hmm. And yet they're the ones that are having sex versus like Makari and Druig, their connection just felt like a soul level connection. And, yeah. and you don't need to see anything more than that. And so I love that because at, at a point you're like, I'd love to see them kiss. That would be great. But the fact that you don't makes you more invested in their characters because you're like, again, what, what do you want? You want love or do you want lust? And I think a lot of times when you go into the movies, you're wanting more of the lust part, right? We would love to see a cool sex scene on TV sort of thing yeah. like, a, you know, but at the end of the day, we want that emotional connection more so than we want that lustful connection. And so you've yeah. got that same with like Thena and Gilgamesh and yes. we're going to be getting to them here too. Like th their relationship was, uh, it almost felt like a brother sister relationship in a sense. And it was just yeah. like the, just so powerful. Uh, what I'm seeing here too, before we get off of Makari, the Emerald tablets from seeing from this other explanation, uh, it says an ancient Egyptian work 
written by Hermes uh, Trismegistus, or however you say that, uh, that is believed to represent a step-by-step -step instruction manual for the alchemical process, uh, so alchemy, of turning ordinary metals like lead into something much more valuable like gold. And so uh, irony there too being that Cersei has a green costume, an emerald costume, yeah. and she is also, that's her power is alchemy, that she can change uh, things from one, um, you know, one thing to another. So there's, I, I feel like there's more there that we're, we can't comprehend yeah. and grasp oh, right now. That it's is coming gonna be back. Coming. Yes, yeah, exactly. I, I also, one more thing before yeah. we get off of Makari, normalizing ASL in mainstream media and big film like this is, I mean, it's so huge for representation, yes. um, but also having it in the opening sequence, it's one of the first lines of dialogue is between her and Kingo. Yep. Just kind of signing to each other. I just, it's, I that scene that. was I when I it. fell in love with both of those characters. Yes. Cause I was just like, that I don't it's it's so weird because I and I've I've always been fascinated with ASL my mom used to speak in ASL to us when we were kids so I know a little bit I don't know a lot but I, I even in this movie I was like I want to learn I ASL want to learn yeah. um, and it was if I felt the exact same way in Dune when uh, the mom speaks to Paul in this, oh, yeah. you know that weird sign language as well I'm just like why wouldn't you I mean I, I understand that the meaning behind it but it's like why wouldn't you want to have like a code thing where you don't ever have to speak like that's so cool to me and so it's funny too the way that they showed it in this i loved that she isn't the first one to use sign language it's kingo yeah and so it was like the first instance of the sign language is by someone else talking to her which mm -hmm. i thought was so such a cool message too of like you can learn sign language too like it's not yeah. that hard i've heard it's not that hard again I've, I've heard it's also very tricky but um but yeah so yeah awesome just so cool uh yeah what was it cool moves you too and i yeah. was like oh yes like oh they just that opening scene is so amazing and i love that we're still talking about yeah. the characters and we have even got i know movies. i know i know uh, okay next on my list here is ajak and her defining characteristic that i have here is the love of her family so a little different than love for humanity i feel like she grows into her love for humanity but she is the mother of the group and they mentioned that multiple times and so she is more she cares more about the relationships within their small unit than she does for humanity at least at the beginning again because she is the leader and so she contacts she's the one who speaks to erisham which was also interesting because in the comics that is Ajax's power in the comics. And a, yeah. another great example of them switching the lid. I mean, most of the Eternals were, were male. They made Ajax female. Uh, I thought Selma Hayek was awesome. Uh, I wish she had had maybe just a little more. There were a couple of lines that she had that felt a little stiff, but I, I am okay with them. Like her first line when she says, it is time. Mm -hmm. And the way that she says it, I was like, you sound like a robot. But then I was like, Whoa. oh, that, make, <laughs> that makes sense if that's the first thing that you say when you're programmed to, you know, go online. So, like I said, I forgive it for that. And I see that nuance. Um, but that that's Ajax power in the comics is that he's the one that can communicate with Celestials. So I liked that they just made her the leader of the group because the leader of the group in the comics as well is not Ajax. It's Zerus. And Zerus isn't even in these stories, which, again, I love the direction that they took. They flipped that on its head. Yeah. What do you think of Ajax? I I was just thinking uh, her, you know, defining characteristic. Yeah, she she's she kind of she's the one that holds everybody together 
mm-hmm. and I, I forget who it is. It might be Kingo, uh, who says that if they'd stayed with her, she would still be alive. Um, and that to me speaks speaks to the fact that she was, you know, she was kind of the glue of the family. She also had a little bit of that zealous streak um, until she said it was the snap that changed her mind about humans. Was it the snap or was it when she just after that uh, situation in uh, Central America that she went off on her own? She said she went off and lived with them. She said, yeah, she went off and lived with them. Um, I wrote down the line. I have, I have so many pages of notes. <sighs> um, I, oh, dang it. She, she says something. It's when, it's when Icarus goes to South Dakota um, right. and talks to her and she's talking about the snap. She says something about, it might just be in that same sequence where she's talking about the snap, but she says the, the people of this planet changed me. I, yeah, good point. I don't remember if she says it before and after, but her monologue is about, she says, you know, I've lived with them and I've yeah. seen them, I've seen them hurt and uh, hate and kill something like yeah. that. But she says, but I've also seen them laugh and love. And uh, she said, you know, Thanos came and snapped half of the people away. And that's what delayed the emergence. She said, yeah. but then the people of this planet brought everybody back with the snap of a finger and that sped up the emergence. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. You're right. I don't remember if she says it before or after. Yeah, I don't I don't remember what it's in relation to, but mm-hmm. I thought that it was interesting that, um, she, you know, she's been around for millions of years and um, it's it was this this planet and these people that are the ones that changed her mind. I mean, and that I know people who have been in the church and been part of a religion for many, many, you know, 50 years or something and are so ingrained into the dogma of a religion. And then I think being ingrained for or indoctrinated for millions of years and how, you know, how much it would take to change someone's mind you know, it must've been, it must've been something very profound for her. So I I think, I think a piece of that came from, and what I I would say is my favorite scene of hers in the film, which is during that, uh, the massacre in Central America. Uh, I think she hits a turning point there because she's telling Druig to not interfere Mm -hmm. and, and very, you know, vehemently says don't, but then later, you know, he's like, I'm going to do it anyway. And she gets to that point where she says, "Every you all, we're done, basically. You mm-hmm. can all go. You can all go do your own thing. But she says it in such a parental way. And, and like what you would want a parent to say to you, where she says, go out there and do whatever you want, not what you were programmed to do. And then she, and I'm getting chills just saying it because I, I got so emotional during that scene on this last mm-hmm. viewing. I, I actually had a tear in my eye because she says, when we meet again, I want you to tell me all about it. And I was just yeah. like, that is the that is what a loving mother would say to their kids is yeah. a truly loving mother would say everything that I've taught you up until this point you need to remember it but go out there and forge your own path and then come back and tell me what you learn and it's like yeah. to me that's like that was the moment when she kind of changed her opinion and she was like you know what this is crazy and because maybe be a piece of it because of the massacre uh, but also I, I think that was maybe even just the seed being planted in her that 
this is, you know, now I'm going to start learning about humanity and see mm-hmm. what it is that, you know, these other people think so highly of them about. Yep. Wow. Yep. And I love her. I love Selma Hayek. I, yeah. I hope that, I hope this sticks to the comics and that we, we haven't seen the last of her or Gil or yep. Icarus. Yeah. Um, and I hope they, you've read the, have you read all six issues of the Gillen, the Gillen run? Or, or there's more issues than that, but are, are you like on Marvel Unlimited reading it or are you just I, reading it live? I've read, I think, up to seven. Oh, so you're further than me. Okay, I've only yeah. read up to six. But yeah, so again, spoilers for those things. We talked about it in the last episode, but they reveal in that that the, you know, the Eternals always come back. That's part of the Eternals thing. So mm-hmm. um, they they die and then they're reborn, recreated and, and synthesized and they're right back at it, basically. Uh, but we find out that the cost of that is somebody dies every single time a human life is taken for the life of an eternal, uh, which would be a really fascinating concept, especially if someone like Cersei died, because yeah. I feel like she would be like, just let me die. Like, I don't want to come back at the cost of a human life. Um, but yeah, that'd be really interesting. Uh, next person I've got on here is Druig. And I've got Druig as his whole thing is peace through control which is a a very interesting concept. He's essentially a a more level-headed Loki is how I I picture it because he essentially gives the same talk about freedom being, you know, but he's saying it in terms of the violence that freedom brings and the fact that people are constantly at each other's throats. He can control minds. So why not just control everyone to stop fighting? And Mm -hmm. we see eventually that he learns that it's those flaws that make people human but it's fascinating when you're looking at it in the lens of the Eternals because, yeah, you probably should stop these wars, right? Like, we don't need people dying. But when you're looking at it at an Eternals perspective, yeah, you kind of need a little bit of that, especially if you're working for Arishan. Yeah. What'd you yeah. think of him? And and that was, uh, um, what's his name? I was going to say Billy Branna, but Barry, ba- Barry Kogan or Keogan. He was Ke- from, uh, Ke- yeah. is that how you say his name? Keogan? Kean? Kean? Is, is the GH soft? Yeah, it's uh, it's something like that. Lucy would know how to say it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Uh, yes, um, I've seen him in uh, American Animals, Dunkirk, Killing of a Sacred Deer, and The Green Knight. Uh, I'm looking to see here if there's anything else. Oh, he was in Trespass Against Us as well, which was I wasn't a huge fan of that movie. That was a good a good Irish movie. Um, I have never been a fan of him. He people talk about certain people having punchable faces. This movie, though, really changed my opinion of that because I think oftentimes the roles that he's been put in are him being that punch in the face kind of person. Because like in Killing of a Sacred Deer, he is just, I mean, he's the, I won't spoil it, but he gets punched in the face quite a bit. And uh, he's just, he's very good at being a bad person. And in this movie, he gets to not be a bad person. And I think it suits him really well. I I think this uh my preconceived bias about the character um I went in thinking he was going to be bad and so the mm-hmm. first my first viewing was kind of I I just it was wasted on on that character specifically but the second and third viewings I really got to open my mind a little bit more about him and his 
his delivery of that monologue in the temple, at, yeah. uh, in the Inca, Incan temple, well, the line about it not being war, but genocide. Um, and then the monologue in the temple where he says, What's uh, that? Yes, that one. And he says, you know, I could have, I could have fixed it all in a heartbeat. And I couldn't. And do you know what that does to someone over centuries? And he's crying. That, that's actually what got me to cry during that scene. And then so Selma, Selma was what ha- hammered it in home when she says to go do everything. But his, like I said, every time he had those lines, I got just so emotional yeah. because he's conveying that. You Do you realize what this would do to a person over centuries? I mean, and it's just like, oh my goodness. It, it essentially has been punching him in the face for thousands of years. And so yeah. he, he plays that, worn character very very well um i i I like him more and more Mm -hmm. yeah i my beautiful beautiful makari oh his accent did you miss me it's like oh my god and his that that moment that he gets uh fighting shooting the deviant and he does this like amazing oh yeah like the flip yeah yeah it's great oh so good and he says aren't we supposed to not be stealing yeah i won't yeah, tell yeah. if you don't mm-hmm. deal oh just and then when he saves the day at the end hitting uh oh yeah um sprite well that was moving <laughs> well that was moving yeah that whole bit too with him um again you're you're thinking he's this bad guy and he says yeah. like you know, so you, you want me to get into the mind of a celestial and, you know, he's like, I'll do it. I'm going to do it. But then he says, is there a plan B? Yeah. And she's like, well, you know, she got turned into a tree and she's like, I can't do that again. Like, I don't think, and he's like, it's okay. I've got this. And I was just like, what? Like, he's just such a cool guy. And then that scene where (laughs) he, where him and Icarus swap the uh, emerald tablets and the yes, and the I love that that was so good like oh because you know he wants to see that and he's like this is perfect I'm gonna get to talk to Makari yeah. again yeah. um yeah so yeah he did he did great all respect to him I thought it was fantastic um okay so next up we've got on this list is Fastos who again very fascinating conversation for him his bit is technological advancement is what I've got. He is always trying to speed things up, which is ironic because you'd think that would be Macari, but um, this would be Brian Tyree Henry. Just amazing. Such a good character. Every scene yeah. that he is in, he just is the biggest thing in the room in that sense. Like yeah. you, your eyes just go straight to him. He's the same way. His eyes tell a huge story. He does a really good job with his expressions. And just the, again, him, another type of love with him, with his family. And I love this idea of a guy that's so obsessed with advancing society, advancing technology, and then realizes what the true cost of that is and does a complete 180 and becomes the procrastinator, <laughs> as yeah. his husband calls out, which is just so perfect, you know, description for Fastos. And I love that whole thing where he's like, I hate humanity. Yes. But my family has given me has redeemed like can you imagine how you must feel as a husband or a son to be like i saved my father's humanity by just being myself like just amazing for him to have those lines and to have those moments and then not to mention 
his absolute badass ending too. You've got Kingo saying, guys, it's Icarus. And then Fastos is like, so what? (laughs) Yeah. You can stop Icarus. Uh, Hell yeah, you can do Yeah. Do not mess with Fastos. This was such a big moment for so many people, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, those of us in the LGBTQ community have been waiting for this for such a long time the I mean it's the first it's the first openly gay relationship in the MCU we we had Loki confirmed bisexuality earlier this year but this was the first big screen confirmed gay character in the MCU and he's black and he is a genius and he's one of the big he's one of the big three in the end that saved the day um and I think that is such a huge thing for some I mean for so many reasons um and you and I have talked about this a little bit but I think it's also one of the things that people are having such a hard time grappling with because Fastos is so different from the hero archetype that we're used to, that we have been used to for so long. Um, I love it. I was, I have been ready for this for so long. Um, So uh, I I think it's just going to be, you know, a learning curve for a lot of people. I'm a big Fastos fan. He's my top three. Uh, Yeah. Yep, Cersei, Macari, and Fastos. Um, I like his line at the end where he's uh, Icarus starts to fly off, and he says, "Oh no!" Yeah, oh no. And then he don't. pulls it. He pulls him Whoosh. back down, and he says, "Boss." <laughs> yeah, boss. All I've been sarcastic. waiting to clip your wings. Yes, love that. Yeah, Absolutely. that reminded me a lot of Doctor Strange too, of him with Thanos, of wrapping yeah. the the bands of Ciderac on him. Doctor Strange, and when he's creating the tech, it's very Tony Stark. The way that he's manipulating, yep, very the, Tony, and very uh, Ten Ringsy. That was yes. the first thing that I noticed in this movie on that opening scene when they're walking down on the rings. I was like, this has to be that like Fastos created the Ten Rings at some point in time in the past, maybe even in a prior life because he's been around for millions of years. So maybe yeah. he created it at some point. Uh, who Ooh, knows? That'd be a cool twist. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's a really good point, I think. And it's it's sad to say, because I certainly don't want to defend any of those people. I, I They don't deserve to be defended. But I feel like there's an instance where if you've been raised a certain way to not accept people who are different from you, and maybe you're even in a position to say, yeah, I want I want to be, be better. I want to, you know, start accepting this sort of stuff. It's hard at some points in the very beginning to be uh, exposed to it because every single time you see, you know, a gay couple kiss, you immediately get uncomfortable or you turn away. Right. But but when you have that that desensitization in a sense or that acceptance and tolerance as you move forward, you have to have those experiences. And so I think this movie is a good first step in that to where maybe someone who was on the fence whatever it is they see that on screen and maybe in this movie they're like god why are they doing this but then maybe in the next movie they don't even care because they already saw it in the eternals you know what i mean like this movie is taking that first dive 
to show that sort of stuff on screen. This movie is walking so the next movie can run and have maybe a more, because again, my argument would be, okay, so you're uncomfortable with two men kissing for half a second, but you're not uncomfortable with a man and a woman kissing for what I would say was a little too long in that scene. Mm -hmm. And then immediately goes into them having sex. And it's like, okay, but you didn't have a problem with that, but you had a problem with this tiny thing. Step, yeah. take a step back and reflect on that and why mm-hmm. is is that the thing and then go watch the movie again because mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe you'll like it better another time would you would you say I'm, I'm, I'm close on that or am i off base i think so and i think that's it's the, the same reason that that makes them uncomfortable is the same reason why they're upset that icarus you know turns out to be a little bit of the the bad guy right um, air quotes mm-hmm. uh but yeah i i think it's just you know we're all we're all on a learning curve, like I said. So yeah. it's, you can be presented with the opportunity to grow and learn and yes. become better, or you can choose to be a butthead. So yeah. it's- up <laughs> And to if you, you choose that again, it just like these Eternals, it's your choice to be that way. <laughs> but just know that you're not gonna have a fun life because things are not moving yeah. in that direction. They're not going your way. And so you are going to continuously be frustrated seeing this stuff more and more on screen as people realize, oh, there actually are a lot of people like this in the world and in our country. So let's represent them. And Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. So it's like, yeah, if you want that, that's fine. That's just more frustration for you. And that's only something that you experience because everyone else is is fine with it. I mean, it's so funny too. I love the way that they did that scene because I, I was watching it through that lens. I was like, I wonder if, you know, I'm going to hear an UG in the theater or if I'm going to hear somebody do an uncomfortable shuffle. And mm-hmm. you get to that spot where uh, he, uh, his husband, was it Ben, um, mm-hmm. uh, talks to him and says like, I think you should go. And the music starts playing. And for half a second, and I know, cause I, only, I didn't see any of the spoilers, but I was like, are they going to do another sex scene? <laughs> I was like, I was like, there's no, I was like, there's no way. How are they going to craft this? And I love, cause they like give a good look into his eyes. And I was like, okay, they're prepping the people. Let's see what they give us. And the next scene is him with his son. And I was like, yeah. perfect. Because if you don't like him because he's gay, you've got some things to work on, but we're going to show you that it's, he, that's not what defines him. What defines him is that he loves his family and here he is with his son. And if you're annoyed with him, then having that perfect kiss with his husband, like what are you saying is a bad father too? Because he's sitting there with his son and his son is just, he's talking with him and teaching him how to brush his teeth. Like I, the, the care that they put into that scene, I just thought was they couldn't have done it better, in, in my opinion. I mean, you got the, the music playing about the end of the world and they get the, the porch-like kiss almost as if they were like dating or something, but they're, you know, happily married and then he gets to walk off. Like, I just, I loved it. And, and then the whole reason, again, his husband says, it's not because he loves him. It's because he wants a better life for his son. And it's like yeah. just that whole family legacy piece. And again, the whole idea that these people that he's in love with are not going to live forever. Yeah. And- there's so much tragedy and beauty within again a very short amount of time but that's kind of how I took it when I was watching it yeah no it was perfect and they're Star Wars fans yes yes not love a Star Wars fan a Star Wars fan or a Superman fan we we get we get all our call outs during that bit Uh, okay so next up on the list we've got Gilgamesh who um the way that I put it on here was his he, he he's defined by his love for Thena 
And I think there's maybe something a little deeper there that I couldn't quite put on words, but it's just that idea of uh, believing in redemption of others or believing that, I don't, I don't know, just the fact that he's so instantly like, let her keep her memories. I'll, I'll watch over her. Don, uh, I believe his name was, uh, is it Donnie Don Yo? Lee. Don Lee. Don Lee, Don Lee. Um, amazing. I yeah. His trademark thing was his smile. Every time yeah. that he smiled, I just smiled. And I was like, this giant dude is just, he's a sweetheart. He's a teddy yeah. bear. And he is Gilgamesh at the same time. I mean, they wrote the Epic of Gilgamesh based on him. And yeah. here he is making a pie. And in, in, uh, <laughs> yeah. like, oh, just, I loved him. I thought he was great. His fight sequences were amazing. Uh, my favorite one being when he just smacks that thing down yes. at the gate of, oh, just turns around and just I would wait open it, hand, open palm, smack down. Yeah. And then the second favorite was the open palm, smack down Athena. <laughs> Yeah. And, and oh. in, in my second showing, everyone was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> which I was like, that's the vibe they gave off. And I love that because it's like, you know, he's not going to kill her, but yeah. he's just got to put her to sleep. And he that's does stunner. that. He does yeah. it with ease. Yes. An absolute stunner. <laughs> What'd you think? Yeah. Of? Uh, I, I, I think there is a there's such a deep connection with him and Thena and I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't know like what kind of love it technically, you know, what category it falls under, but their connection is so deep and he cares for her so much. Um, it, it's almost like, uh, um, not just a romance. I, I, there wasn't like romance there for yet. I mean, I, we, we didn't see everything, but um, it was almost like a father and a daughter, uh, which, you know, his instincts, his, she says it, she says that he told her the most natural instinct when you love something is to protect it. And that to me, that's like a father's love for his child, you know? Yep. Um, and I just, I loved him for that, that he mm -hmm. was willing to sacrifice um, so much of his life and time to protect her and watch over her. I just, that, oh, that gets me. Yeah. I, I, I loved him so much. You know and, what I, and he's the one that was speaking identity over her all the time. Like, remember who you are. This is who you are um oh I just I love him I, I'm so sad he's gone I know there's so much to unpack from that too that was another scene that I I um got the chills and, and had a couple of tears come out was them by the tree when she yep. says thank you and he says yeah. for, for what and she says for taking care of me and he says I'd do it again on any planet and I was just like, it really is an eternal love. But at the same time, you can really dwindle it down to whether it's a parent or a loved one, but somebody who is so in love with this person that came back from war with PTSD. And yeah. it's that, it's that, um, not freak, uh, freak the mighty, but it was a book where basically like, you've got the one person 
who is an incredibly powerful person, this the greatest warrior that's ever lived, but they have PTSD in a sense. And obviously it's a little different in this film, the way that they show it, but that's kind of what they're alluding to is somebody who has these traumatic things that they've done and that have happened to them and they, they get triggered and you've got that person who's like, it's okay. I mean, I, I love that scene with Ajax too, where she says, uh, you are loved and you are yeah. safe. And that's just something that I've learned throughout time too, of when people are dealing with anxiety, that those are the, the, the kind of words that you should be telling them is like, they need to feel safe. They need to feel loved. And so yeah. you're, you're getting that from him. And it, it just feels like that sort of thing where I, I keep thinking back to like brothers with the uh, Tobey Maguire. And uh, I'm sure there's some other war movies out there where they did it too, where it's, it's either the spouse or it's a best friend or somebody to where they're with that person to the end of the line and they're they're going to stand up for them and say hey i'll take responsibility for this person because they genuinely love them and mm -hmm. it just they, they encapsulated it perfectly and the, again the way that he just had that sly look on his face of that little smile when he says on any planet and it was just yeah. like it just hit me so hard every single time because it's like mm -hmm. again it's not a romantic it's not a sexual love it's just this amazing love that I would say at the end of the day, I think that's what I would hope people take away from this movie besides, you know, contemplating our place in the universe is there are so many different ways to love somebody. Mm -hmm. And I feel like society has, has pushed us into this direction of that lustful sexual love being like, that's what you have to have. And then you just get married and that's it. It's like, no, love is so much deeper than that. And when people, especially for those people who are very uncomfortable with their emotions, I feel like there's a lot of messages for them in this movie to be like, it's okay to love somebody that way, to tell a friend, uh, you know, somebody who maybe isn't gay, telling their a male, their male friend, like, I love you and I'm there for you to protect you. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like that is how you become a deeper person. And that is how you grow as a human, just the way that these eternals are growing as humans in their, their lifespans. Yeah. Yep. Uh, okay. So next up on this, we've got Thena which I have as her defining characteristic is the cost of war. And I love that because that they chose to do that for her and that she is truly what Athena is based on, the, the Greek goddess of war. And uh, it is war, right? I always thought Athena, oh no, yeah. I'm thinking love and that's Aphrodite. Yes. But uh, Athena, she's that, she's, she gets the cool, the cool moves is what I'll say. Like I said, I love Makari, she's my favorite, but every action scene that has Athena in it, she's got a cool move. You've yeah. got when she's fighting Crow and she does that beautiful like Athenian dive through the through the mist. And then when she's fighting Icarus and you've got the Iron Man, Captain America zapping of the, the beams with her shield. And uh, there was, oh, and then in the very beginning when she kills the creature and does that beautiful flip through the air and land like she's she is great. The embodiment of grace. And yeah. but at the same time, you're learning that she's got mad weary which is uh, essentially this thing where, as we find out, your brain is inundated with the amount of memories that you have and it's fracturing your mind and it causes you to lash out and attack your fellow Eternals. And so really dealing with that, again, from that PTSD perspective, not only that, but Angelina Jolie was absolutely perfect for this in every single way. The first showing, I was like, man, I, I feel like we didn't get a lot of her. And then in the second and third showing, I was like, we got a lot of her. And every scene that we get with her is so powerful to the point where like when she's talking with Cersei at the end and gives her that pep talk, like, I love that it's her that gives the pep talk to her. Like she just, she just exudes perfection every time she's on screen. And I love her costume. I love I just, ugh, everything about it. <laughs> talk to me. What did you think? It, 
I, so I came at this from the perspective of not being a big Angelina fan. Okay. Um, I, I, <laughs> this is so petty. I Let's love Jennifer it. Aniston and I just, oh, whoever no. can, I just, I feel very protective. Um, but this movie has um, changed me. It has changed me. I'm a fan. Wow. I One of my notes in here is the way that she portrays a warrior goddess with such fragility is yeah, wow. brilliant. And so, I mean, finding that balance, it, I, I can't, like, I she she did a beautiful job i am a big big fan yeah that immediately brings me to that central america scene where she says i don't want to forget i want my i want to remember remember and she's crying and that that whole scene is so emotional like that entire when they're up in the temple everything about that scene is so sad and perfect but you're right. She's so willing to sh- saying thank you to Gilgamesh for taking yeah. care of me. Like no warrior would say that in normal situations, but she is able to be fragile. Like oh, great yeah. point. Great point, Sarah. Yeah, that's good. awesome. It's good. And the uh, just a nerd comic book nerd call out the that leap at the end where she goes after Crow, like in she leaps into the smoke, um, was very have you have you seen the recent black widow comics well actually there's a lot i think the mark wade and chris samney run also where's yeah a couple of that one for sure i haven't been reading the recent one but the mark wade one i know we talked about that one the the way that they draw some of natasha's fight sequences as though it's like a dance to her because she 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 you know does ballet uh it it was very to me it was very comic booky and i loved it i loved it they did that at the very beginning because she's like spin she's spinning around the the deviant and hitting at it and then what happens at the very end with how does gilgamesh uh take her hand like like a dance partner like a dance partner so yeah that's a great point um yeah so she was great sprite uh defining characteristic being human uh, she is the only person of the Eternals that is a child and perpetually a child. And that really takes a toll on her. And mm-hmm. so she has an amazing monologue at the end around her being around the humans and being around the fellow Eternals just kind of showed her everything that she didn't even know she wanted. And now she knows that she can never have. And it's just so depressing throughout the whole film. I mean, it, her first yeah. scene is, well, again, her first scene is uh her just coming out of the ship we see her but her first scene scene is pretending to be an older person and then she has to run away from that situation because she can't deal with it and she doesn't want to have to reveal who she really is but then you know you see her in the flashbacks and she is truly the 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 sing-song soothsayer of of sorts (laughs) it's a lot of s's but she's the storyteller and so she's been the one that's created these epics. She's created every story you can think of, of Gilgamesh and Icarus. Like all of those stories were created by her. And I love that conversation she has with Kingo, but you know, she inspired him to love movies. And yet here she is, she has given everyone else what they need. 
in terms of believing in something bigger than themselves, but she is so much smaller than who she actually is. And so there's a really sad irony there that she's just so she's capable of being so much more, but she's so hindered by the body that she's in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Liam McHugh playing her. It, I, I think I saw someone saying something about this too, but it's like, and I'll double check right now. Her, how, uh, how old was she? Was she 12 oh, when what, she yeah. filmed this? Eleven or twelve. Um, let's see what the full bio says. I think she's fourteen now. Doesn't say how old she is, but but if that's the case, I, I mean, I believe it. She's a fourteen-year-old playing against Angelina Jolie and Gemma yeah. Chan, and uh, just all these scenes. It, and Kingo, I, I mean, she has one of my favorite lines in the movie that I put in here, which was the "How many cameras do you have, young man?" <laughs> yeah and i just loved the way that she said that <laughs> and uh uh so yeah she's she is a very tragic character yes but at the same time she just exudes such a confidence in herself but it's such a, a fake confidence because underneath she's just dying inside she wants to have a human life and that makes the ending just that much better mm-hmm. the, and there's a I, we talked about Druig playing like a, a very worn character and Leah McHugh was, I, I'm going to say probably a preteen when she filmed this and being able to play like just tired and worn out and um, I, she did just such a good job and the way that she was talking about the last time that she saw Ajax, uh, the emotion, oh, she just, she did such a good job. I, I'm just surprised that she was that young when she did this. Um, yeah, I didn't realize, I was thinking she was maybe like 17 or 18 or 19, but yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, she, she does have a line when she's talking to Kingo. It's right after he says the Peter Pan thing, which is hilarious. Uh, but she says, Kingo, why did RHM make me this way? And it's, it doesn't get a lot of time, like you don't get a lot of time to sit with it because she looks over and Karun has, has the camera on her. So it's like this funny moment right after. Yeah. So you don't get a lot of time to think about it. But I keep thinking about that line. Um, it's one of the things that I think about a lot about that movie. And I think it's just, you know, a a lot of people I know a lot of people who would love to ask you know whoever made them (laughs) why did I get made I mean yeah that's a very common question I think a lot of us have especially when we feel different is like why why am I made this way why was I made this way it's really powerful and and that was another scene where again just amazing that they're able to get these intimate emotional scenes in between the action and the the comedy bits because that whole piece was really cool because he starts Mm -hmm. it off with a joke and says you know oh yeah i I like staring at him too (laughs) it's not creepy at all but then immediately he's like and and so that yeah that's the funny point was in the neil gaiman comics sprite says that um, and in the comic it's it's a boy but he says that he was actually the inspiration for peter pan for uh what's his name barry barry's yeah yeah and so but in here it's that she's tinkerbell and i just love the way that he delivered it too because he just says he doesn't even say anymore and he just says i'm sorry sprite and i it's such a genuine apology 
and he doesn't have to say anything else. And she, I was waiting that first viewing of her to be like, shut up. But she yeah. just says, why did he make me? And I love that she's being vulnerable back to him. So you can tell they have that friendship connection that, mm-hmm. uh, that we talked about earlier, him and K- her and Kingo. Um, yeah, just, she did so good. And yeah, like, <laughs> I just want to stop this recording and go back to the movies I know. <laughs> and go watch this again. Uh, okay, we are on the last one now. I can't believe we've been through nine. And <laughs> Yeah, you don't want to, we were, uh, we're doing great on time too. <laughs> uh, so that's Kingo. And the best thing I could come up with for him as his thing is adoration from others because he is, uh, he it will do whatever Icarus tells him, uh, but he's also a movie. So he's a Bollywood movie star. So part of that, there's, there's a vainness to that, right? Mm-hmm. That he wants to be an actor and he wants people, he wants to be remembered. He mentions that during the, um, during the plane ride, he's playing Icarus. So you can clearly tell that he's got a, an, an Icarus complex because he even says that, you know, oh, we got to get on the wires because as you know, I can't fly. Yeah. It's like, yeah, he, he feel he's got that short man syndrome a little bit in that he, he knows who he is certainly, but he wants, he just wants more love from others. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think in the way that they show it, am I off base though? Cause like I said, I was trying to think if there was any other qualities that kind of played through for him. Cause he's, he's essentially, when you really drill it down, he's the comic relief of the movie. But yeah. I feel like some of his interactions are so much deeper than that. Like when he talks with Sprite on the plane and when he's talking with Quran in a couple of moments. And uh, and especially at the very end, he plays a very strong character in our faith conversation that we'll have after we you know talk about yeah. some of these other pieces. Because he's he agrees with Icarus, but he's not a zealot. So he's not going to push his beliefs on anybody. So he's got a lot of messages to share, but I couldn't tell if there was an exact through line. Um, I, there's There are a couple of places where he, either he or Karun mention family. Um, one of, one of my favorite lines is when Karun tells him there's no greater honor than to serve your family. Uh, and that's when he's trying to tell him to, to forget the movies and go, go help your eternals family. And he uh, quotes but, his own movie. I loved that. Yes. Yeah. And then, at at the end, he's the one that tells Icarus, you do not turn on your family. Yeah. And, um, but you're right at the same time he also uh he says one of my favorite lines which is that i still believe in the celestials i still believe in icarus but i'm not willing to hurt you guys for my beliefs yeah um and so he's he's kind of he's like a good good mix of all of those values in a weird way, he's almost like the most, one of the more balanced characters yeah. in the group in terms of like his mental state. He's yeah. very just like, he's just a successful movie star that's loving his life. Mm-hmm. And I love that in a way, you know, he plays Icarus, but that means in a sense, he was trying to honor Icarus too. So like, you know, he loves, he, he gets so excited when they show up and he's like, oh, but then when they, he finds out, you know, Ajax gone, he gets legitimately yeah. sad. So like, you can just tell that he, He's just, he's a great guy. I loved him. Yeah. He was great. His, and and just, Kumail Nanjiani, his, oh. his, his range in this movie is really great. Yeah. Really great. That moment when they tell him that Ajax is dead and he just, he's putting on his eyeliner and he, he just stops and like his whole face falls. 
Um, yeah. And that's at the same time that Quran then starts making everybody leave. So it was like Quran yes. could kind of feel the room as well. He's like, all right, yeah. time to go. Um, okay, cool. Well, that's all the Eternals, which is great. We have a couple more characters to discuss too, though. We've got uh, Quran, right? So I had him in here and kind of what his role was. Uh, I thought Quran was such a good foil for the rest of the group because how, how do you kind of manage and understand these Eternals? You bring a human along with to have, but not only that, don't make, I mean, he's the comic relief too, but it's not because he's trying to be funny. Like, I love that. His comic relief is because he's so straight laced and because he cares so much. Like I, uh, I'm human. <laughs> I'm a little biased. Like I love, yeah. I, lo- I loved his lines and he, it was just so cool to have a, a Kingo's valet kind of come along for the ride and that they were all totally fine with him being there. He knew who they were too. Like he knew they were the Eternals and he was very respectful of that. And very, it was just, it was like having a devotee of a religious group, you know, with actual gods and being like, I'm going to help you however I can. And it was just, I don't know. I loved his character. I thought it was amazing. Yeah. And it was, and this is, this is a, um, like a well done to Chloe Zhao's storytelling, but he's also kind of like the Greek chorus in the way that he keeps the regular audience connected to what's happening because at the end you know he has a he has a great moment that character i mean the actor um patel i forget his first name oh man harish yes thank you um but he he says thank you you know and it's been a great honor being with you guys and he says thank you for all you've done for humanity and he's so genuine about it oh it's it's so good yeah. but yeah he he's he's like a good um i guess uh pulse like pulse check for for the regular audience you know mm-hmm. um yeah i i thought and he was hilarious too yeah again hilarious without really you know making jokes which is a, mm-hmm. a very hard line to cross because you know you could almost compare him to Katie from Shang-Chi and being the non-superpowered character in the group that kind of catches the audience up with things. Mm-hmm. But when I compare them, I, fa- I find Katie to be a little more uh, trying to be funny, whereas he is just naturally funny because of how serious he is. So mm-hmm. I would give him props over Katie in that sense. Though I don't imagine we're going to be getting a Karan Funko Pop anytime soon. uh next up is dane whitman uh the black knight himself though not confirmed basically confirmed in every way except for saying the name the black knight um he is not in this movie very much uh and i i think it's meant that way and i like that because he also is like cersei a bookend he is at the very beginning of the movie he has a very minor part in the middle of the movie and then he's at the very end of the movie. And I loved that because each, all of those scenes that he's in, he, he not only is servicing Cersei in that sense, but we're also seeing some seeds planted for what he's probably going to be in the future. Mm-hmm. What did you think of him? And, and Kit Harrington again, I, I have not seen any game of Thrones. That's one show I've never really gotten into. So I, I know, I know. So I've never seen Richard Madden or Kit Harrington in anything else. Um, I did watch the first episode of Game of Thrones, but I don't really remember it. So um, I thought he was great. I thought he did good with what he had. 
Uh, it wasn't like, oh my God, give this guy an Oscar or anything like that. I just, I thought he was fine for what he needed to be. And I'm excited yeah. to see him again, which I think is probably the highest praise that you can give the amount of screen time that he got. It's like, I do still want to see him in more things. He seems cool. I am a big medieval literature mm. uh, nerd, absolute nerd. Okay. Um, and so, uh, and there's a lot of, if you read the um, older Black Knight comics, there are a lot of uh, Lord of the Rings um, allusions, hmm. uh, which of course I appreciate. Um, but I love Dane Whitman. I love that we, I did, I'm not convinced yet that he is actually Black Knight yet. I, we know his uncle is still alive and his uncle in the comics is the evil Black Knight. And I wonder, you know, Cersei was telling him to make amends with his uncle. So I wonder if he, if that conflict comes from, from that, from mm. who owns the mantle right now, I guess, so to speak. You've got one uh, up on me for that too, because I did not, I did not catch that. But that's also because I know very, very little about the Black Knight, only from like a few things I've seen him in recently, and I think maybe in a video game. Uh, but I've always found his character fascinating for that same reason of this, like finding Hawkeye fascinating. Of like, how, how does you know, how does a guy dressed up in heavy armor on a horse, how does he compete with other MCU characters? But it seems yeah. like from what we see in this, that there's a good possibility that he's going to have some sort of power that is relative to other superheroes with what we see yeah. at the very end but that's a good point i you know i maybe he still needs to earn it and maybe he needs to earn it by fighting off his uncle and that's what we see in god who know, honestly who knows maybe his uncle works for dracula and that's how we get some sort of you know him getting souls for him and you know he has to fight off dracula with the help of who, who again that is a complete spitball yeah, i have no, no idea that's actually not far from the truth <laughs> and and but that's why in terms of the mcu when you look at this stuff they just make you see it and before the film you're always like how are they going to do this and how are they going to do this and how are they going to tie this in from a comic and then when you watch the movie you're like wow they they did it the exact way i needed them to do it but i had no idea they were going to take it this way and so it's so nice to know that, that like, I'm sure if that's what they choose to do, it's going to make sense. And you're going to be like, this is awesome. This is perfect. I didn't know I needed this. Um, but yeah, that's, that's exciting piece. That, and that's one of the, that's one of the things I mean when I say this is going to have more rewatch value in the future. Oh yeah. Because of introductions like this. And the, in, in the comics, Nathan Garrett, who's the evil Black Knight, um, there no spoilers but he he has the ebony blade so i don't know what transpired for you know for dane to come into possession of it there at the end so and i'm excited to see the connection between nathan garrett dane whitman blade dracula merlin mm -hmm. like i'm king so arthur. excited we got, he's got the king arthur call out with the sword and king arthur all the supernatural mystical medieval stuff i am here for it and whether that gets us to like an mi13 which yes. i know some things are talking about or what i would be way more Midnight interested Sun. in no that's a great one too no well, even more come on what, another 
very British. Excalibur. Yes. Yes. That's where, that's where I would love to see would be a Black Knight, Captain Britain, at Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain, please. And uh, just whatever, like, give me a bunch of British stuff because I, at first yeah. I was like, eh, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of any of the, the British sections of the MCU. Like, I haven't gotten into a lot. I did read Teeny Howard's Excalibur for like 15 issues, but the concepts I know I would love on TV. Like, I just, you know, we everyone loves British actors, but like to have something like that where you've got, and that's kind of how the MCU evolves. And that's something we've talked about a lot is like, everyone's in new york we get it and and yeah. so now we're starting to see with shang chi you're you're getting asian influences with the eternals you're getting the cosmic teams but like what about the british team what about a central america team what about south america what about the russian like the winter guard what about that like that's how you expand this universe is by creating and then like agents of atlas like please give us more of these world teams because then it's going to make the next threat seem that much more serious um yeah in that respect so no that's awesome that's great uh, okay next piece is a twofer we're going to talk about the celestials and their designs so um that being erisham so erisham is voiced by uh and i put this on here because i had to call it out when i saw it i was like no freaking way so his name is david k and when i was looking through his things he is the voice for any of you listening. I'm a huge Beast Wars fan from the animated Beast Wars show back in the late 90s. He is the voice of Megatron. So if you were wondering <laughs> when you were listening to him, like, oh, that sounds familiar. It could be that. But he is also in like almost every single animated thing that you could think of. He plays Jarvis, Vision, Baron Zemo in uh, the Avengers Assembled show. He's in, uh, and I'll see if I can find it as it's here. He's in Teen Titans Go, Dragon, Buster, Whimsy Robin. Uh, he is in Regular Show. He's in The Clone Wars. Uh, but I'm trying to see if where it comes up with him being in Clone Wars. Clone Wars came out in like 2000. Star Wars Clone Wars, General Tandon, Citizen, Rebel. Uh, so he, he just, he voices a lot of things. Yeah. I thought he did a fantastic job. I mean, what more could you think of if it's just a voice? But I thought Arisham's voice was co both cosmic and cinematic. Like mm -hmm. when you're watching him in, and I love that too, that half of the times we see him, you're only seeing like his nose because he's so big <laughs> when they're talking to him. But he just feels vast. And the way yeah. that his voice is so deep and so serious like i i thought was they picked a perfect guy to do it uh but not only that i thought erisham as a character was just fascinating yeah and uh just the whole idea uh when i came out of it on the first viewing i said you know what i like most about erisham is that he's a pretty reasonable guy and i i really like that that's saying a lot for that argument that there aren't any villains in this film because He's not keeping any secrets. He, he, he's basically like the really nice manager in a sense, because yeah, you're not going to tell everybody what's going on. It's a, it's more of a need to know basis, but Cersei becomes the new leader. And he's like, I'm going to tell you the truth. And he tells her the truth. Like he doesn't leave anything out. He doesn't try to, you know, pull the rug out from under her or pretend to lie to her. He's, he's super honest. And then at the very end too, you know, they, kill, well, yeah, we, we're going to get there, but they kill a celestial 
And he isn't just like, all right, Earth's done, and then destroys it. He says, I'm going to spare them. And it's like, that's a really reasonable thing to do, because if I was him, I'd be doing the same thing. Why did you kill a celestial? Not like immediately jumping to reacting about it, like trying to figure out that root cause of like, why did you kill a celestial? Let's look at your memories, and and then I will pass judgment. Like, totally reasonable, Erisham. I appreciate it. Thank you. So yeah, I, I loved his character. Yep same and uh, that that ending bit surprised me um, yeah me too me too i mean he he's rsm the judge so it makes it makes sense mm-hmm. but it still it still surprised me that he didn't dole out judgment there you know immediately at the end but it was very um, kirby-esque though right because that's the same thing is like you know we're gonna we're gonna spend 50 years judging Yes. the world and so it gave i think that was another thing i talked about right after the movie came out was just this to me i think the mcu has the opportunity to right the wrongs of jack kirby's series and not just of you know jack kirby was wrong but just this idea that kirby had an idea of what he wanted and they canceled his story so soon that he couldn't really bring it to fruition I think the MCU can bring it to fruition to where mm-hmm. we actually do get to see a celestial judgment and we didn't really get to see one with that series. So um, it's very cool. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Uh, last person. And like I said, the, the designs, obviously the deviants uh, we'll talk about them as a group. And then also crow who is mm-hmm. uh, interesting in Neil Gaiman's run. There's a character named craw. And I, I, uh, I don't know if it's the exact same, but he leads the Deviants. Though I know Crow is actually a character from some of the other series as well. Again, yeah. I was familiar with some of the older ones. But Bill Skarsgård did the voice and I'm sure did the mocap for it as well. He just loves getting in on uh, being CGI characters. And I'm here for it. I mean, he does a really good yeah. job. I'm sure his dad and his brother are very proud of him. Like, okay, we've got this. We've got Stellan. He's very good at playing kind of bad guys, but also at the same time, the the smart smarty pants scientist you've got alexander who's the sexy guy who plays all the hunks and then you have uh bill who bill. <laughs> good old bill he's always playing the weird. they've got a dynasty going right now that's they the, really do we talk about kingo's dynasty but he's uh yeah what he plays zeitgeist and deadpool 2 oh but that was actually a character but he but he's pennywise in it so he does yeah. it there was something else though that he did he, he was just that. He was just in that movie with Tom Holland and yeah, the devil all the time. Yes, thank you. Yep. And he, yep. oh man, that. he was creepy. But there was another movie that he was Castle in Rock. where he was a he was in Atomic Blonde as well, uh, Castle Rock. Well, no, where he played a CGI something rather. Uh, maybe oh. it was it. Yeah, it looks like it was it. He's fairly new as well. He's only got forty one acting credits. Yeah. Um, okay. He's young. Cool. All right. Well, good for him. But yeah, no, I uh, I get. There, there, people have been saying they're having issues with the deviants and I get it. I, I, in terms of this being, again, when you look at yeah. just as a singular movie, yeah, I could see that you're not wrong for thinking they didn't have enough to do because they didn't, again, you would need an even longer movie, but I really like what we got. I liked the whole idea of the deviants are essentially Erisham's mistake and the Eternals are the correction of that mistake. But that's the same thing about the heads and tails of a coin. They're they're yeah. identical. So the deviant is essentially the inner workings of humanity when you look at it that way, to where mm-hmm. the Eternals are the apex of what we can be. 
and the deviants are the uh, the bottom pit portion of what we can be. It's our lowest base mm-hmm. instincts of becoming this apex predator. And you hear that a lot throughout the film too. This talk about being an apex predator, but not only that, they're super. I think they're super cool. I love their CGI. I thought they were great. I saw an interview where their Chloe was saying, or somebody who was creating them said that they mimic the animals they are around. So you see earlier in time Ooh. they're dinosaurs versus later in time they're more bird like. But then once uh, Crow pumps them full of his juices, they kind of evolve into these hybrid type creatures in a sense. Like you almost get the mythical and that's that's what's funny. And I think so. I don't think anyone's called this out yet. I just it just came to my head. They are the 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 creatures of myth because you get all of these epic tales that are told by Sprite where Gilgamesh is fighting this deviant or Thena is fighting this deviant. And so then you look throughout time and you see Hercules fought the Hydra. He fought the Cerebus. He fought all of these different creatures, which they could just argue were all deviants because they all created and turned into these types of creatures that they were fighting. So when you look at the Babylon scene and they're fighting all these random creatures, a regular person there would be like, oh my God, Gilgamesh fought the Hydra because that's, and you know, I have no other name to call it because I don't know what it exists as. So in that sense, I found them really interesting. Um, But Crow more so because he's like the embodiment of Pinocchio of like, he's maybe Pinocchio's the right word. Maybe like the AI that has discovered its purpose Mm -hmm. and that he's, I love that scene after he kills Gilgamesh where he says, you know, yeah i understand now erisham has tricked us and he's put us on these planets and he's killed us and i was like are we about to get a team up but then he looks at them and he's like and i will kill you for what you've done for my kind and i was like to me that made him super interesting that he has the exact same agenda as the eternals now but he has a secondary agenda to also kill the eternals so again when he shows up at the very end you're like where have you been but yeah. you kind of enjoy that fight. And I like that Thena got her time with him. What did you think about the deviants and Crow? I like the deviants. And it's interesting that you say that they are the, the beasts of, of myth because that's exactly what Crow calls themselves in, in, Kirby's, in Kirby's run at the very beginning when, when they're being introduced. Uh, he crow is supposed to be the inspiration for satan which which i found to be very interesting um and he even so in the comics they can manipulate atoms and so they they can manipulate how they look right like no no two are the same right 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 so he gives himself horns (laughs) Ah. um but I thought that was neat because in the movie, Crow, uh, when he, um, he's like he's giving his powers, I guess, to to all the different deviants. But there's one he gives wings and he transforms the tail. But anyway, so in the comics, they look, you know, Thanos has a deviant gene, mm. and in the comics, Crow is purple, and he he actually looks kind of like. Thanos um he's got like the 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 chin and the big he's bald and um anyway I I agree with everybody I think they were under underutilized but I don't think that we've seen the last of them because they are 
exactly like the Eternals. They are, you know, Druid says they are both the children of Arishem. Mm -hmm. And so just like the Eternals who come back, um, I, I don't think we've seen the last of the Deviants. It's a great point. And I think, I think that's another piece of uh, more so into Kieran Gillen's run, but also in all the other runs of there's a piece in Kieran Gillen's run where um, essentially what happened was when, you know, during creation in the beginning, the Celestials created a hundred Eternals and mm-hmm. they created a hundred Deviants. And then there's that bit where he's like, computer, how many Deviants are there? Yes. And, and it, it's, says, it's like, yeah, computing. <laughs> and then it's a page of like 300 and it says page 10 of 10,000. And it's like, they've been, I said it in the other episode, I was like, they're basically like rabbits. And they yeah. even say that in one of the comics, there's like, yeah. that they multiplied like rabbits. And so I love the whole concept of Lumeria. And I love the concept of the the whole Atlantis thing. I mean, Lumeria is kind of the same as Atlantis, but the fact that the Celestials came back and destroyed it and it went underground, I would love to see in another movie that there actually are way more deviants than they anticipated because, you know, they killed the last of the deviants. And I'm imagining at that point, they said, all good. And they turned off their responders and the other deviants are like, all right, they're good now. Like we, we killed yeah. the rest. Let's just live underground in the hollow earth and not talk to anyone ever again. And maybe we see that in another movie. I would be down with that. That would be really mm-hmm. cool. Especially somebody, uh, somebody trying to get revenge for Crow or trying to avenge Crow, maybe Craw. Or yeah, whoever yeah. it ends up being, but yeah, that would be super cool. But yeah, I, w- I again, you're you're asking for more from these characters in the lens of villainy, as I think what some people are upset about is like we would have loved more about this for them to be developed. But it's like they're not villains. They well, I mean, they're bad guys, sure, and they need to be ended in that in that respect, and they kind of were, but. At the same time, they're just another cog in the wheel of this movie. Like mm-hmm. there's no, there's no two people going at each other. It's like just, it's life happening all around you and you're having to make choices and decisions more so than very, it's it's much more gray in this movie than black and white. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, Hey, that's, that's everyone in this movie. And uh, that's like the gist of it. So we're going to end this here. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'm totally kidding. We have a lot, we have much much more to talk about. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, so we're going to dive over into this other section. Um, What we'll do is I think let's, let's just go through this movie in chunks. I'm not going to do like a scene by scene unless it strikes us or there's a cut, like you said, I know you took a bunch of notes as well. If there's things we need to call out, but I want to say first, this movie is so cool in that there's like 30 different places these people go. So I'm going to see if my memory serves me and your notes, keep me honest on how we do this. But um, what I loved about this movie, uh, I know we've said it a couple of times, is just the sweeping scope of this film. And it really does feel biblical in that sense. And no more, no place more so than in the very beginning of this film that we get a Star Wars scroll uh, of a screen scroll. And the first words are in the beginning, dot, 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 which is like, to me, that's Marvel saying, this is the definitive beginning of the MCU. And my bones just start shaking in the theater when I saw that. I was yeah. like, this is it. Like, this is what I've been waiting for. And so we see through that a lie. We find out later, but we see that the Celestials, um, basically the, cel- the prime Celestial Erisham creates the universe through, uh, or create. they're creating suns. They create the universe. They've created life. And they created, or they've utilized these Eternals from the planet Olympia 
to protect and safeguard these planets from the deviants, who are these creatures that are very violent and are just dead set on destroying intelligent life. And these Eternals are, they work in service of Erishim and probably other Celestials as well, and do whatever they say, almost like the religious followers would with a god. And the last note on there is that, you know, they worked in harmony, they were good friends until a mission where the leader, Ajak, uh, it's, I don't think it said made a choice, but it was basically like there was one mission that changed everything, which yeah. I was curious to hear your thoughts on that. My money is that mission is the Central America mission. Because I know the first thing they show you is the beginning, but I think what they're mentioning there, because it says they fractured apart, and that's the mission where they fracture apart was the do you have the name down i keep saying central america because the name kept flashing and i didn't know how to pronounce it it's with the t there there's um in in the uh oh my gosh what do you not a caption but in the text the overlaid text when it transitions to that place it just says the amazon but there's also no no but when when ink in the empire oh it it said like tina it was like tina tenochtitlan Yes. Is that what it is? Tenochtitlan? Yes. Okay. That's the one. So I think it's the Tenochtitlan mission that is what broke them apart, or is what that's referencing in the beginning of the movie, not necessarily the opening sequence we see of them. Because I think originally I was like, oh, we're going to be seeing right away what it is, and we don't. Because they're all together, and they're all totally fine on that first mission. I kind of took it as like the whole emergence, like that, the Earth's Emergency. oh oh so like, okay the whole thing. now i gotta go watch it again because they because they've been together like over millions of years for multiple emergence right. missions so uh-huh. i i kind of just thought you know the overarching yeah emergence i'd buy that hey i'd say then i guess the beauty is in the eye of the beholder at this point you know make with it what you will until marvel tells you differently but yeah we get that i love that they highlighted celestials eternals and deviants uh, to me, I was like, awesome. Like as a general audience member, you know, okay, those are where I need to focus my energy because for some, I could easily see being like, are you freaking kidding me? We've got like a scroll with an info dump right at the very beginning of this movie, yeah. but it works so well because you're immediately caught up into it. And then we see, again, you don't really realize it until the end and all of that, but you can tell through the acting that this is their first mission. Uh, the light comes through from the the uh, statue of Arisham, goes into Ajax, she wakes up and says it is time and then all of the people wake up and walk around very robotically to all of their sections they all get their their suits and armor on and we see that it's 5000 bc uh which is really interesting because i guess maybe the celestials held off on sending erisham held off on sending the group to earth until then versus sending them there during like the because he i mean it's alluded to later that he sent the deviants down there during the like probably the cretaceous period or whatever to kill the dinosaurs um and then they just saw fit maybe he was like honestly i don't even want to deal with this right now because it's see that's the other thing too about erisham if you talk about procrastinating uh for fastos erisham is basically the ultimate procrastinator because he's got so much on his mind he's a very he's a very busy guy but it takes him a lot longer to send them there. Whatever. They show up. It's Mesopotamia. What better place could you ask for as the intro for that being the Fertile Crescent and where, you know, civilization was purportedly to have started. Uh, just gorgeous. And, and this was such a brought such a big smile to my face that 
all of the scenes that we see in the trailer are all just from like this beginning scene in the movie. And it made me so happy. I was like, it made me very hopeful, honestly, Sarah, because I, I saw that with not necessarily Black Widow. They really messed Black Widow up. Oh, but like with Shang-Chi, it was the same thing with Shang-Chi. I was yeah. like, okay, so if they, if Marvel, if you're listening, and I know Kevin likes this podcast, he sent me a couple <laughs> letters, but Kevin, please, if you guys can just keep those trailers to the first 20 minutes of the movie, like you did with Endgame, I will be etern- eternally grateful for that because <laughs> it enhanced the rest of the movie for me. Because did you notice, Sarah, as those clips started coming out, they're showing Gemma Chan with the Unimine slamming down onto the ground. And they're showing uh, Athena do her sword swipes at Crow. And I'm like, what are you doing with all like what? I mean, you can't if you hadn't seen the movie, you wouldn't know. But at the same time, when you do go see the movie, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, that's right. That was that bit in the trailer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I stopped watching after the first trailer. Came. Yeah, I only watched the first one I, as well. I just, I'm done with Marvel marketing. <laughs> yeah. Or I, it, I like as, the book, as the book confirmed, it is Disney marketing. Oh, sorry. Is, Disney. Yes. yes. Disney, Disney marketing has apparently been having a field day. So according to the book, they, they are more, they said every movie that has gotten better for them in the marketing department. And I'm like, no, dude, no, no you are no. not doing this right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Go off, whatever, whatever gets more people to go see these movies, I guess, whatever. But yeah, so we get that scene. They all wake up. We get uh, Cersei saying, isn't it beautiful? I'm Icarus. <laughs> And I'm Cersei. Sounds good. Great. They show up. We get the awesome fight. Everyone's showing off their powers. We get some great bits there. We get Cersei transforming the uh, stone uh, arrowhead spear into this golden. And uh, I believe Lisa was saying that she thinks that was Lapis Lazuli as the the blue whatever. But we get one of the first. I mean, we've seen a couple. I completely skipped one of them. The freaking Terrence Malick opening of this of just yes, the, the sun, sun. and yes. the domo flying around the sun and i'm just like i saw that and i was like i know i'm gonna love this movie <laughs> I, <laughs> I immediately turned to robert and i was like i'm in I yeah like, I yeah just, the domo's going past the sun and i was like uh, yep i'm fine I'm good. they could the movie could cut out now and i would have been like that movie <laughs> yeah. was really good i can't wait to see it again <laughs> yep oh that was gorgeous but then yeah we get another we get some bits of it here and there. We get some very wide landscape shots, but that scene where Cersei is holding her hand out with the, the weapon as time starts playing. And, and I love too, she like looks at Ajax and Ajax just nods at her and yes. then she goes to do it. Like, I love that basically giving her permission to enhance humanity. And we see it with the sun on the beach and then boom, 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 boom. And it's the new, a new fanfare. We get to see all the celestials. And all yes, and Shang Chi's in it towards the end. I didn't catch anything else besides that, and then the opening bit being the Eternals, essentially the mm-hmm. the Celestials and all that. So cool. Um, yeah. We then move into present day, so you're already getting. I love that perfect choice to say, okay, there's going to be time hops in this movie. Let's do the biggest one first and just get it out of the way. Creation to present day, awesome. Yep. Cersei is a professor at a um at a school or no 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 what is it she's like a museum but she's teaching a class i i think she's like a a lecturer at a museum maybe that's Um, what it is you know because they have like in-house researchers and and i see educational teams like educational outreach teams so yeah probably something like that 
And she's she's running late. We see a re- immediately <laughs> that she's addicted to her phone, and she takes a picture of the giant dagger uh, up on the thing, which I couldn't help but just think like she was like, "That was me. I did that. Yeah. I'm gonna take it." I love the uh, too. She takes the picture and starts going through filters. Yeah, I, I thought that was like a perfect. Just that's a very nuanced phone thing because I feel like there's a lot of laziness when it comes to people using phones in movies. It's usually very basic, and it's like no one does it that way and so when she does that i was like oh that's actually pretty accurate like people immediately trying mm-hmm. to get a new filter on it but yeah so she shows up she says sorry charlie i know i'm late and it's the statue of charles darwin <laughs> and we get in and we see our first look at dane whitman who uh and we're getting to probably one of my favorite bits uh, uh i i didn't catch this i caught it the first time at the end and i was like wait a minute the poem that Dane Whitman is reading is identical to the story of the Celestials, or it's, it's essentially yeah. an Easter egg for what we find out about the truth of the Celestials. And so the second two times on the viewing, I tried to catch it again and tried to remember what it is, but I was telling, I was telling Sarah that uh, this movie is very dense. So it's very hard to remember certain things like that, especially it being so in the beginning of the movie. But through our work, Sarah, thank you for the, uh, what was it that you said? Because who is this? But you were like, Walt I think Whitman. maybe it's Walt Whitman. And so I just typed it because I couldn't find it. And I was like, okay, what is it? Seeds, poem, and nothing. But then typed in Walt Whitman and we've got it. So I found the poem. I'm going to read this to you guys. So if you've seen this movie, hopefully this hits really good for you. So again, Walt Whitman, the, song, the, the poem is Song of the Universal. And I will just read the section. You can Google this for yourself to read the whole thing. But the section that Dane says is, in this broad earth of ours, amid the measureless grossness and the slag, enclosed and safe within its central heart, nestles the seed perfection, which is the exact same thing as the celestials nestling their seed into the broad, this broad earth of ours as it is built later on in the movie. So again, if you were paying attention, they essentially reveal the big twist at the very beginning of this movie, which I loved. I thought that was mm-hmm. so cool. <laughs> it's so cool. And uh, and it being Walt Whitman, I don't know if- Yeah, right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> with, with Dane Whitman, yeah, exactly. That's perfect. I'm like, okay, so this just makes total sense that Dane Whitman, maybe his uncle is Walt Whitman, who knows? <laughs> doubt it, doubt it. But yeah, so he, he does that. Cersei shows up and she takes over. She starts talking about apex predators. Uh, another shout out we'll give to Ryan on this because it's in my head now and I won't, don't want to forget, but it says any, any idea of what an apex predator is and somebody says lion and someone else says a shark, I think, right? Is that what it is? Lion and shark? I think, I think so. Or no, no, no. I'm sorry. Lion and wolf. And yes. then the next person it's shot to has an alligator on their desk. Yes, yes. And they don't say alligator, but I was like, ooh, I wonder if Ryan's going to notice this alligator bit here because technically they would be an apex predator. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then then I love this too, right into the action. We get an earthquake and uh, she's helping. I love, she's so cool. She's helping all the kids under the table. Mm-hmm. And then a, a, a giant trilobite is about to fall on top of, uh, or Nautilus maybe is about to fall on top of one of the girls. She turns it to sand. And that's all we see. And then from there, she's basically like, I have no idea what's going on. Uh, And next shot is at night. She's out partying with Dane. It's his birthday. So happy birthday, Dane. Like we said, Sprite's trying to get, uh, you know, 
I don't even know what it is that she wants because she clearly doesn't connection. want it. Yeah, yeah. She, yeah, you're right. She wants some connection. She just clearly doesn't want to be touched because that will reveal yeah. you know, she's fake. But um, so we kind of get some quick character development for her there of what she's dealing with. And then the conversation between Sprite and um, Cersei around, you know, you need to tell him he needs to know, mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting because based on what he says later, he kind of knows. He basically knows. Yeah. Sprite's been telling him. Sprite told him. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, you need to tell him the truth. I would have been like, you already did. I don't need to say anything more to him. But yeah, we see that he, it's his birthday. She got him his family crest on his ring, which is identical to the family crest at the very end on the box, mm-hmm. which I loved. Uh, and she says, I'm a really great eBay bidder. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so they leave and we see our first instance of the deviant of Crow. And he attacks them. And she captures him in the cement using her powers, but it clearly isn't enough. They take to the streets and they, uh, they fight him off. Icarus shows up and, and does a really good thing. But we see some of the bits in the trailer where she turns the bus to flowers, which was just gorgeous. And when uh, 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 Sprite kind of does the Loki of doing a bunch of stuff, uh, I, I'm trying to think of where we could stop on this. I guess basically he shows up and says you know, what's going on with these deviants? And he says, I'm not sure I came here because of the earthquakes. And we get a couple good, you know, a little bit of bits of funny, but they say we need to gather the family and we should go to Ajax because mm-hmm. she'll know what to do. So what did you think of all of this in terms of kind of, this is like your opener. This is the, the crux of the yeah. movie, right? This is what puts everything into motion is this, the earthquake plus the deviant attack. Now we got to get moving. I, I need to, make a call out for the game of thrones fans that the rob stark john snow reunion on the bridge was beautiful (laughs) um i you you made a joke you made a joke the other day about phase four being the phase of family dinners that's right it's also the phase of characters dancing in clubs okay uh, yes very fair i'm here for um I, I love the the whole opening. I think it's it's probably one of my, uh, along with Avengers, the first Avengers, it's probably one of my top three openings. I just, uh, everything from the sun to the credit or to the title Fan card. Bear. To, yes, to the bridge. I mean, everything is just set up perfectly. I was going to um, ask you about that because you had mentioned that. And I was thinking on it, I was reflecting on it and I was like, my initial response was, this is my favorite of the MCU openings. But then I was like, what are like what what are your favorite MCU openings? Because I couldn't really think of any. When you're talking about Avengers, are you talking about the Thanos opening of like him talking with Loki? Or are you talking about them at Shield? I so when I say opening, I I mean everything from like the first thing you see on the screen to the title cards to like how that feeds into the beginning of the movie. Okay. Like what are, um, what are some top tier ones? Cause I couldn't think of any. The, the one, I mean, event, the first Avengers is always going to be my favorite. I like the, the setup. I think Joss, Joss Whedon, I don't think gets enough credit for that movie. Um, he set up so much. Uh, he did, yeah. And I just, it, it's one of my favorites. So that one, this one and then i i really like the first avenger uh captain america the first avenger how it sets up everything with the tesseract Mm, um yeah and 
I, I guess, I, I don't know. I guess I like the broad sweeping explanation and then like the targeted little action bits, you know, yeah. that kind of explain the bigger picture. Okay. Um, and then the visuals, uh, but, and, and if you think the, the Avengers, 2012 Avengers, um, it goes before it goes into the title card it does the uh the fanfare crescendo and then it does the avengers across the screen mm -hmm. um and that's like right right when nick fury is setting everything up yeah but um i think those are my top three what are yours do you have any I would actually need to, I, like I said, I definitely would need to think on it. I would say right now, if you're asking Eternals is my favorite, but I, like I said, I'd need to go through and think back on what some of the other ones are. Cause I'm sure there's some other ones where I, I loved them. Like I'm trying to remember if maybe, maybe winter soldier would be one of them, like the, the Marion star opening, Ooh, that's uh, if that's before the fanfare, because I loved that one uh, just in, on the top of my mind. Uh, Guardians too. Also. The, that was the, yeah the the, the mute that's like I, that might be my favorite part of that guardians mm -hmm. movie yeah that'd be something to think about that may be a good topic for a future podcast um but yeah no so i agree really powerful opening uh so from there that's when we we find the reveal or no we find uh they go back in time so we now go back to babylon and we see more mm -hmm. fighting uh which is beautiful we get to see the actual towers of babylon and of babel uh, the tower. Well, no, we don't get to see the Tower of Babel. We just see Babylon, and another great fight scene. Like you said, some sweet Makari scenes in there. Some sweet Gilgamesh slap downs. We get to see Icarus ripping off. Uh, he rips off like a wing or a leg yeah. of some creature too, which was just so sick. And then, um, yeah, and and uh, Ajax visits Arisham and says, "I loved her line there, where she says, you know, we're basically we're doing our best.'" We're mm -hmm. trying to gather as many humans as we can into Babylon because we're fighting off the deviants and there's a lot of deviants. So like Babylon has now become one of the biggest is become the biggest center for humanity on earth. And I just thought that was so cool of again, tying that into natural history and, and, and just actual, you know, ancient history of why Babylon was such a lively place comparative being in the middle of a desert essentially and so you see that's why they chose that as their center for command which is really cool uh, but yeah so we see there you know there's there's some dancing we see a ton more character growth we get the the Makari and Druid Emerald Tablets bit of her saying you know I sense vibrations and all of that stuff you bet are you lying are you wasting my time I loved that um trying to think of what was cool and that oh yeah you get you know sprite telling the story of gilgamesh which was awesome and uh i it was interesting too you got to see icarus talking to thena and saying yeah. he says like where are you like don't go fight the deviants stay here and celebrate and she's like this isn't my spot but then he says it's an honor fighting with you and she says you as well and i, I loved that moment because i don't think we see them really interact again until they're fighting at the end Mm -hmm. But that whole, just the whole Babylon bit of all of that, sir. And then we see um, Icarus talking with Ajax and she's like, it's okay. Like tell Cersei how you feel. And so you can see that, you know, it's been growing and he's been wanting to be with her and all of that. And that kind of leads into, yeah, yeah, yeah. They go through that whole bit. So we get to see even the Gupta empire, uh, which is right before that he, they basically have their little romance 
which uh, I liked, but at the same time, in a, a way, it sort of felt just a tad um, like there could have been maybe one or two more moments that they would have shared together to show how their romance was so cosmically grand in that sense. Cause it just seemed like, and I, most people wouldn't complain of like, Hey, you're really beautiful. I am also really beautiful. Maybe we should get together. And like, <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a great idea on paper. That's fantastic. Which is kind of like their relationship in a sense. It's really good on paper, but when you scratch the surface and dig a little deeper, they're very different people. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, I'm still cool. We, again, we get MCU's first sex scene, which was nice. Uh, we get to see a really beautiful wedding. I love the shot of all of the group uh, yeah. kind of cheering them on. And it was just like, oh, that's so and great. Sprite's all mad. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think during this flashback sequence, it, was she mad? I thought she was smiling. She, no, she looks. Okay. I'm going to need to see that on know, another viewing. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, we, we see a lot of Ja Malik in this flashback portion, a lot of sweeping shots focusing on, uh, Cersei doing the hair of the girl or focusing on a sun, the sunrise, or, and I love, I called this out with somebody about when he's helping her create those patties and there's mm-hmm. the, the cameras just kind of is, is very natural in its movement like Malik. And it gets to a point where it kind of, it's zooming in it's always zooming in on something other than the Eternals. So like it's zooming in on what they're creating. So part of the shot, you're only seeing Cersei's chin and her hands. You don't see her face. And then you see that again later in, in, you know, in Gupta too, when they're just following them into like little valleys and nooks. And then it starts focusing on something else. And you're just like, wow. Like, I don't know. I was floored. Yep. No, uh, the, the whole thing was, it felt very tree of life, yes. um, which I, I'm absolutely okay with. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I agree. I could have used some more, I could have used some more relationship building shots, but I mean, within the constraints of time that we had, I think Chloe did a, a the best that she could. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And I, the, the, you and I have talked about the interfaith aspect of this film, the the wedding. Man, I love all the different ways that love is expressed in this film. Yes. And all the different ways that it works and should be, you know, the way it should be. Yeah, I just, I loved it. Yeah, that was the thing that I thought each time I watched it too was, you know, they, they, they clearly become an item. Uh, in like what was it maybe 4000 BC something like that but they don't end up getting married until like 400 BC whatever it was there's like a couple thousand years or whatever it's either a couple thousand or just a thousand years in between them dating and getting married and so I just thought it was interesting like what made them wait I was curious about that like was it because marriage didn't exist back then and there was no formalized marriage thing and it just happened to be in India maybe where marriage was created because uh, again, it's like it's a concept. So at some point, someone was like, mm-hmm. "Let's just make this a thing." So maybe that's what it was. But I found that cool that like you know they dated for a while before before they tied yeah. that on. Yeah, um, a long while. Yeah, and yeah. all of that ends up just being a <laughs> basically what uh, Cersei is thinking while they're driving to South Dakota. And I, lo- I I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of that. I put that in the the story that I wrote a lot of like it's a really great way of creating backstory by having it just be the thoughts that are going through their head as they're driving or something. Cause like, yeah. what else are you doing besides thinking about things? And so, you know, they're sitting in the back and, and here was another great Malik shot 
of just the wide open South Dakota, big sky country with the giant storm in the background. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. I'm not, I don't see uh, Ajax riding up on her horse, like in the trailer. Okay. And so we get there and did you, have you seen all of Malik's movies? Um, I'm, I think so. Uh, did you get a Days of Heaven vibe from this scene? Oh yes, uh, the field, yeah. With the just the field and the house up on the hill, and yep. you know the house being kind of empty and weird, and that's like one of my biggest. I, that was one of my lesser favorite Malik movies, but that was always a visual that stuck with me. Was just the wide open prairie with the house yep. on the on the hill. Uh, so I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it was gorgeous. And then they find out that uh, Ajax is dead. She's sitting outside. It appears that she was killed by a deviant, which. By all intents and purposes, we know that's true because the deviant that they fought he could heal itself, and that's Ajax's powers that she can heal. And I loved that. I was fully invested in that. I was like, okay, so Crow Crow's the villain. That makes sense. Like, uh, let's go on this. Let's see see where this plays out. And so they said uh, we get a really sad scene of of uh, Sprite sharing the last moments that she saw with Ajax, which was just. Again, a testament to Selma Hayek because did you hear about that interview she did where with Chloe where it was like she didn't she, her and Chloe had some issues that they ended up working out and so she was very complimentative of Chloe she was like there was something I just I was not a fan of blah 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 and we talked for hours about it and she kind of she showed me why it was important and I'm wonder I was wondering what it was maybe the fact that she dies I have no idea but I was just like that that scene of her being so sweet to Sprite and singing with her I was just yeah. like she is a mom like this is just yep. so cool and we get one of our very first if but not last scenes of an eternal crying because <laughs> there's a lot of sadness in this movie yes. uh, and, and drama but from there they said okay well we need to go uh, we need to go find the others or, or no 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 she uh, Cersei goes out there by herself and Ajax transfers her power to Cersei so mm-hmm. she immediately gets transported up to Arisham and he says it is almost time. I don't even think he says Cersei, does he? He just says it's almost time. Uh, I think he says Cersei, but I don't know if it's. Cersei. It might be later. It might be the second time. Because I was like, yeah, because I, I think I was yeah. like, why didn't he tell her the truth the first time? I think that's yeah. more of like the uh, <laughs> a notification popping up on your phone, like it's, it's almost <laughs> time. And then later, yeah, we'll, you know, later we're gonna have a meeting. <laughs> but yeah, so then they both run out there. And they're like, what happened? What happened? And, and she explains, you know, oh, I just talked to Arisham and we get our first gaslighting there of, uh, you know, what, are you sure you talked with Arisham? You sure you're not going a little crazy? You sure you're not going crazy there? And, you know, Sprite says, why would you think that? And he said, or she says, what else could it be? And yeah. he says, mad weary. And the first time that I heard that, I was like, what? There were multiple times in this movie where the people said something and I was like, I don't know what you just said. There's still things in it. There's something that he says to Cersei in the Amazon that I, or Cersei says to him in the Amazon. And I was like, I didn't catch that. But uh, from there, we get another flashback of Mad Weary and what Mad Weary is, which I loved. Again, very ballsy because when that happened, I was like, why are we getting a flashback? I was like, are, are we about to learn what Mad Weary is? Maybe. But then, you know, we're in the, the empire now and, uh, and you're gonna have to say the name again. I already forgot it. Uh, Tenochtitlan. Tenochtitlan. Uh, the only one I ever, I ever learned was Teotihuacan. 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 But, uh, but yeah, so this is the, the, and this is in the 1500s now, uh, but we are learning this, what, this was a very big massacre that happened 
during that time of the span i believe it's you correct me if i'm wrong spanish invading central america to take over uh just killing everyone i'm sure spreading disease yeah. but also just the conquistadors yeah mm-hmm. yep yeah so i don't know which leader i know there's like three or four of them that probably would have been the ones doing it but they're killing everybody and the eternals are more focused on killing the deviants which i was like okay yeah. i get it but like and then we see obviously druids like we got to stop this and he says fastos why did you give them guns and uh, all that stuff super sad but then we start seeing thena uh, malfunctioning in a sense which I think isn't a very apt word now that we know what we know in this movie but um, <laughs> she's kind of a, a glitch in the system in a sense and she starts attacking the Eternals and so they have to fight her and we get that beautiful scene between her and Ajax, where she says you are safe you are loved but even that isn't enough and eventually it gets to the point where Drew or Drew like where Gilgamesh smacks him, her down and knocks her out they wake up at the top of the temple and she's like, what's happening to me? And she explains to her that she, her mind is crumbling under the amount of memories that she has, which is ironic because no one questions why they aren't having Mad Weary since they all are the same age. Mm-hmm. But I guess it's just special to Thena, which again, at that time I was with it. And uh, I think that scene plays better and better every single time I've seen it when you know the full weight of what's going on. But that's essentially the cracking of the group. And so we get Druig stopping everyone from fighting and leaving them to take them into the Amazon, which I, do you know a little bit about this? Because I, I had thought that there was something around, you know, oh, there's a big, there's like a city in X, Y, and Z in Central America where everyone just suddenly disappeared. Like, I know there's myths well, like that. Is it, that from this? That it there's was the this big, empire. That they just one day disappeared. Yes. Yeah. And so maybe that's what they're, they're hinting at here is that it was Druig taking everybody away. Yeah. The, the, I, remember, I couldn't remember what it was. I, I was like, I don't think it's part of this massacre, what? but it's something. It might be the Aztec. I, I keep saying Incan because mm. that's in the comics. This might have been the Aztecs that, that's in the movie. Yeah. Um, but the, the Mayans, Aztecs, and Incans all, you know. Just kind of disappeared. Nobody knows what happened. Yeah. Yeah. And so maybe that's their explanation is that Druig is the one who kind of took them all away. Mm-hmm. But so he leaves and they basically say like, you know, we're done at this point. And she, she gives that beautiful speech that we talked about. And from there, uh, again, we get, we get Gilgamesh saying, I'll keep her memories. I'll take care of her. And he's, she says, if, if she may try to kill you, you may have to kill her. And I love, she gives him a nod, like, I'm okay if you kill me. Mm-hmm. And he says, I will take that chance. And I just loved that. And uh, I'm trying to think if there's any other big, mo- were there any other big moments that stuck out to you from that flashback sequence? Uh, just Druig's monologue. Oh, yep. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. then him, uh, Icarus and Ajax telling him no, and him saying, well, you're going to have to kill me because yeah. I can't do this anymore. Just beautiful. Uh, and then he goes and starts a cult. <laughs> uh, you know, some might argue it was just a commune. Seemed like okay. nothing crazy going on back there. They're just gardening and creating, yeah, it's a, a, you know, chilling a out. Of mind control. It's just fine. a little bit of mind control. <laughs> uh, no big deal. Uh, so from there, though, it bounces. Uh, from there is uh, the Kingdo scene. I love that opening. I my toes immediately started tapping, and I was like, I love this song. I love him dancing. He looked so good with all of his dance moves. It was so great. Can confirm per Brian's mention that those are Captain America shields uh, that the people are holding in that dance sequence. They're just completely red. 
Uh, I don't know if they're meant to be Captain America or if it's like an homage, whatever. They're, it's they're red and gold. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So maybe it's just his one because it's a story about Icarus. So there's no reason yeah. Captain America needs to be in it. But nevertheless, it's there. We also do see it later on in his plane. There's a 1940s Captain America shield in his plane too, which I I, I would say I would think Kingo would be a fan because he's That's been right. on like all yeah. the USO tours and everything. That's so he's right. kind yeah. of a performance guy himself. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Uh, but so yeah, this is where we meet uh, Quran, uh, Kingo's valet. And I'm um, trying to think of what else we learned in here, but we, they basically explained that he died. And also we get the first mention of many that they are all friends from college, yes, <laughs> which yeah. that made people laugh every single time in every screening that I was in. I loved it. Such a great line. <laughs> De la Universidad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so they, they explained to him and then they're on the plane. We get that great conversation between Kingo and Sprite where she says, you abandoned me in Macedonia. And he says, you know, and I loved that too. I didn't catch it till the third viewing either. I thought he was talking about himself where he said, we have to move every five years because you stay young. And I was like, oh, he's talking about her. And it hit hard on that third viewing. I was like, dang. But then we also find out he's making a documentary, which I thought was great. Can't wait to see that documentary come out in the MCU in a future film. That'd be nice to see. Uh, We get to see him introing, you know, hey, Sprite, what's up? We get the great... uh, Cersei, I can turn a rock into water. I can turn a rock into metal. <laughs> I can even turn it in there. Yeah. All right. Think a little more on that. We'll move. But then we also get the awesome uh, face uh, face ager with, uh, we get to see yeah. old, old man Richard Madden, which I'm sure some people would love to know. Yes, for those of you that are married to Richard Madden, he is going to look gorgeous when he's older as well. So no, no worries there about him aging. Uh, but that was a great call out for the Eternals of like, she's like, you know, we never age. So this is fun. Like I can just see how yeah, an Eternal would yeah. be like, I like phones. They're, they're cool. Yeah. Um, but there's another piece I feel like they were talking about on the plane. And well, but we, we have Karun telling Kingo also, I, I, I forgot to mention this again, but mm. his, his little inspiring speech mm-hmm. to kingo to go and saying when he does that thing with his fist yeah there's no greater honor there's yeah. no greater honor <laughs> so yes great. and it's all the people so are staring at him and again it's like it could have been a corny speech but it it was an impactful speech then you know yeah. helping out your family and he's like man you're right basically yeah 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 so they show up to australia we see a downed deviant in australia and uh, I love that. Is this a deviant, sir? It is beautiful. Yeah. It's like, no, these things are disgusting. And then we get the, the really funny intro of uh, Gilgamesh coming out with his, uh, with his apron on that says, kiss the cook. And he's super happy to see everybody. He tells Sprite, you're looking younger every day, which is like the worst thing that you could tell Sprite. Yeah. Uh, and then he's like, hey, do you want some pie? And he pulls his pie out. I love too that he was like, uh he's like i could have used your help with that deviant and they were like we were dealing with our a deviant of our own and the, you know the joke with icarus that he couldn't even even icarus couldn't because like i was distracted and then we also get you know i'm gingo's valet and he's like oh like alfred from batman yes. so yes. we get the batman call out but then they inform him that ajak has died and he drops the whole pie on the ground which i think everyone was feeling there was somebody in one of the showings that freaked out when that pie fell and I, I did too mentally. I just didn't scream the way they did. But uh, he also bends the entire pot. I love that he's able to bend the pot, that he's able to just pull that pot out of the oven and his hands not burned, like all of that. Great little bits about why it's fun yep. to be an eternal. Uh, but then they find Athena, who I loved this too, was in Mad Weary again because the deviant triggered her. 
So just that, that really powerful PTSD conversation, but they bring her back and we get that moment where from the trailer of hello, and, you know, says hi to everybody. And then they're all eating dinner. So we get the MCU dinner scene, which was phenomenal. This is by far my favorite of the MCU dinner scenes, because this is the first time we're seeing a fully functional family at dinner versus the, the, the huge dysfunction in black widow and equal dysfunction in Shang-Chi uh chung chi was more of an awkward dinner than a dysfunctional dinner uh or just a scary dinner whereas this one you know everyone's laughing everyone's having fun they're all regaling each other with the stories and and all that and it just was so special to watch the the, the thing with gilgamesh he's like i don't think she should be drinking that and he says it's non-alcoholic for, for kids i gave yeah. sprite the same thing and then yeah. start laughing at her uh, i will say that baby bonnet uh the cgi was a little little rough little rough on that but uh i don't know if maybe that was a last minute thing i i don't know but gilgamesh was very funny yes oh i'm a big baby <laughs> all right stop that <laughs> she's like funny. okay very funny all right stop i also loved the anti-trailer of this where she says who do you think will lead the team because arguably they didn't even need to have that in it and i would have been fine with it but i like that he said i could lead them and kingo was like yeah you could i loved that because this immediately establishes that respect kingo has for icarus and then but then there, he's like how could you lead them when uh, ajak didn't even pick you and i was like oh what a burn and they all said it the same way too so that was great um but that leads us to one of I, I would argue one of the best scenes in the movie, but also one of the most important scenes and certainly one of my favorite scenes of uh, Cersei in that moment getting a little triggered and saying, yeah. OK, I need to go out. I need to go get some air. And uh, we also hear in that scene, too, that uh, Thor followed Kingo around when yeah. he was younger and now he's not returning my calls. I liked it, but it didn't make sense because no one was talking about Odin. And he said he said, yeah. oh, you know, speaking of Odin. And I was like, well, but I was just like, did, why is he saying, speaking of Odin, like no one was talking about Odin, but whatever. I mean, it worked. The scene still worked. Yeah. Cause from there it was like, it was when Gilgamesh was turned back from his clothes back into his regular clothes. And then he came back. I don't know, but they, uh, so Cersei walks outside and, and Gilgamesh comes out and is like, you know, what's wrong. She says, I've been trying to talk to Erisham, but I just can't seem, I can't seem to, I keep trying and it's not working. And she, he says, maybe you should just stop trying and listen. And I loved that. And yeah. we get, we get one of the best Malik S scenes in this movie. And I don't know if you, I'm sure you caught this too, but with the wide shot, she's sitting by the tree, very wispy wide shot. And then the next scene is her hand on the dirt. And she's just putting her fingers into the little grains of stone that are there. And I yeah. was just like, it reminded me a lot of those trio life scenes and uh, just and so then and then it works and she's up with Arisham and we get the whole truth of everything before we dive into it did you notice that oh yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the whole I have it in my notes I have it in my notes where it says oh there it is the Arisham Cersei exposition sequence tree of life <laughs> <laughs> well and she's sitting right by a tree yeah 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 um, but yeah that whole that whole thing reminded me of the the creation sequences in tree of life mm -hmm. yeah yeah and so then she uh she's up with erisham and we learn the truth which is that it is the comics the comics are accurate <laughs> that the celestials in fact created the eternals they also created the deviants 
and Erisham created the deviants to wipe out predators on the planet so that humans could grow. But he created the deviants in such a way that they were able to evolve and they evolved into apex predators. And so he had to end up killing them instead. And so he created another type of deviant called an eternal that can't evolve is already the, the apex of perfection in, in uh, Erisham's eyes. And so we find out that they are created. Uh, they are basically synthetic organisms. Uh, much I would, I would akin them to um, one, I would say one step closer to human than vision. I would, I yeah. would say you have, um, you probably have regular things and then you have Ultron and then you have vision and then you have Eternals and then you have humans because vision was created by a human, whereas the Eternals are actually created by a God. And in that sense, I feel like they are more human in that way, but there's still some synthetic thing that I don't think would pass for being human, especially because, you know, they can live longer. They can, I'm assuming they're going to be able to regenerate at some point to come back, all that sort of stuff. So we find that out. We also find out again, they are not from Olympia. They are in fact created in the world forge, beautiful visuals. Again, all of which were shown in the trailers. And that was a great one because I was like, ah, okay, okay. Cause I didn't understand what that was in the trailers. I was like, what is this going to be? Is this, yeah. I thought that was what Cersei can create. And so yeah. I was completely thrown off and I'm like, cool. So they, they get their memories wiped after every single mission they go. And so the whole, the whole plot is the celestials are in this really amazing give and take relationship with the universe. They have created life through creating suns, earth, gravity, all this stuff. But in many of these planets, they are putting in celestial seeds, much the same way that Ego tries to do in Guardians of the Galaxy, of him trying to seed worlds to become more powerful. He's, he's kind of a, a deviant celestial in a sense that he's yeah. doing it more for himself. But it's the same concept of shooting the seed into the middle of the core of the earth. And that seed is then powered by the energy of humanity on the planet. And so the whole goal being get as many people on the planet as possible to feed this celestial seed, which will then, because the Eternals have wiped out the Deviants, leave way for the emergence, which is when a celestial emerges from the planet, uh, completely destroying everything on the planet, including the planet uh, in, in the process. But now you have a new celestial. That celestial will then create new worlds and new universes. So essentially, kind of goes back to that th the thermodynamics law, right? Of energy can't be created and or destroyed. And uh, Arisham talks about that when he says, all life is an exchange of energy. And so there's a really beautiful argument there that immediately, in my opinion, takes him out of the, he is so far beyond the concepts of hero and villain. That, and, and with this speech, even further beyond it to say, he and Kingo even talks about it too. He's creating billions more lives in other worlds that could be just as great as the earth. The problem is they now know the secret that they're not supposed to know, right? No one is. Only the leader is supposed to know this because they then all die and are reborn on the next planet. All their memories are wiped and stored at the World Forge so that he can study the deviants. Honestly, I think he's just trying to watch Cersei. And there's nothing wrong with that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't fault him for that. But uh, yeah, I was like, okay, I, I believe him and what he's saying, but there's got to be more than that. There's got to yes. be more than just- I made a note of that. Yeah. yeah. That it, it, was, it was odd for me. And I wonder if it has, because one of the next things he says- is he explains the flaw in the design of the deviants. Right. Um, 
And then he goes into talking about how he also designed the Eternals. Um, so I wonder if it has something to do with like how he, how Arashem himself could have made a mistake. I don't know. I don't know if, if, if there's like a more heady philosophical. Maybe it's as simple as every time you update your, or you get a brand new iPhone and it says, do you want to submit diagnostic data to Apple? <laughs> That's essentially the same thing, right? I mean, yeah. he's basically saying, I just want to review this because you guys are seeing these deviants and fighting them. So I can say, yep, okay, that one, you know, that looks about right. Or, ooh, that one is taking the power of the Eternals. I need to readjust what I'm doing right. because yeah. this is not working. So maybe it is just diagnostic data, or maybe it is something a little more heady like you said i'm sure that seems like something again specifically because of that being such an important scene that i am sure we're going to get more information on in future films so i am not worried about that at all but yeah overall what did you think of that because that to me that's the turning point of the film is that scene when you when you learn the truth it was very tree of life for me i think visually it was just stunning and getting to see the other celestials uh was was just beautiful i got oh my god yeah i got really hung up on that part um just i I studied i studied philosophy in in college i was a philosophy minor and one of the religious philosophical questions uh you've probably heard this is can god create a rock heavy enough that he can't lift it essentially so meaning if he's all powerful right he can he can he's supposed to be able to do both but then he wouldn't be all powerful anyway so it's just i i got hung up on why he would store their memories to study the deviants because he says later that he's going to judge the humans based on their memories I don't know. It, it was well. The, the other thing like a- to remember is that he says to Ajax during their first encounter on Babylon, he says the um, basically the Eternals that are on all of the other worlds will learn of your success here. Yeah. And so I wonder if again, like Earth is now prime breeding ground for the celestial seed because they've destroyed all of the Eternals or the the Deviants, so they Mm -hmm. thought. Maybe there are other worlds out there where there is a really bad Deviant presence, or there's another universe or world where they have expanded to being millions of Deviants, and he's not, Erisham doesn't understand why, like how did they evolve to that point, which leads to what you're saying too, and that's, again, we're going to get to that conversation around faith and around gods, because Mm -hmm. that was one of my first thoughts was like well who created the celestials because they i mean is that they just showed up or was that something even further beyond it like maybe eternity or one of those higher concept marvel characters like there's still room for them to keep going up the tiers of creation um because that's how the marvel comics always are there's always a bigger fish and so that is that's a really fascinating conversation it's actually a, a really good religious conversation too though something in that um i haven't mentioned it yet i mentioned on the other ones but if any of you are interested it's super short it's only like 180 pages the um chariots of the gods the it's a book from the 1960s and there's a section in there when they're talking about, he's talking about it that all of these instances that they mention um you know angels and god visiting uh, in the Bible or in the Quran or whatever it's in, they're either coming in chariots or they, they come on, on wings of fire or they, they traveled across the sea and all this stuff. And he's saying, well, if God's all powerful, 
why is he doing that? Mm-hmm. Why, why couldn't he just appear wherever he wanted? Why does he say, well, I'm going to come back later. Why can't he do it all right now? And that's the kind of leads into that idea that maybe, maybe what we saw way back in the past was ancient, you know, and different astronauts from different planets coming to visit us instead. That would make a lot more sense that they aren't actually gods. They're just very advanced civilizations like the celestials. So just a really interesting, there's, there's a very interesting philosophical mm-hmm. conversation. I really hope David dives into that on his modern gods podcast, because I, I think there's a lot to be said from this film. Yes. Um, so yeah, so they come back or she comes back and we get one of the best info dumps of all time from uh, any movie, which is back at the dinner scene, Kingo just says, so we're just fancy robots. And I was like, awesome. So we skipped ahead. She did not keep the secret from anybody. She immediately shared with everyone. We're all on the same page. I just love that. I hate the stories where there's secrets between people and we don't find out until the third act. And then there's the betrayal and blah, blah, blah. She skips over all that. She's like, all right, I'm just going to tell everybody. And so then the consensus becomes, and I love this too, because it just fed into Icarus's uh, side of things is he just says, we need to find the others and then we can decide what to do. And he nods at Cersei and Cersei gives him a nod with a look like, thank you. I appreciate, I appreciate you supporting me. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Again, yeah. knowing what I know now, I was like, oh, you, he's doing, he's good. He's really good yeah. at uh, keeping his stuff close to the vest. But so from there, I think the next scene is they go to the Amazon, right? Yes. And uh, so they arrive there. Uh, again, Druig's doing his thing. He's got his, uh, his cult commune there uh, doing fine. And uh, we get long story short of that is uh, the deviants attack them at the Amazon. But we also get a really great, uh, I would say it wasn't my favorite Druig moment, but of just him getting upset with everything. He kind of does that classic. He's doing the classic connect with everyone where he says, um, you're talking about you being having a mistake or, oh, you're stressed. Well, I just found out about this or I blah, blah, like, oh, you think you're a God. You're just a movie star. Like he, he was really lashing out at everybody, but I, yeah. I, it makes sense for his character because he really was missing everyone, but, uh, also still definitely has some bones to pick with certain people, but we get that whole great exchange between him and Kingo mm-hmm. of, uh, <laughs> I've directed some things like what internet, some internet content, how many views I don't do it for the views. And then we get the, I love that Thena is also petting and has like an iguana in her lap. I thought that was a real, real baller move that she just like found an iguana and is now hanging out with it. Uh, Total, total Thena move. Um, I'm trying to think what else was good. I loved uh, Karan's uh, little thing about, I believe that we need to learn from our mistakes so that we can be better. Uh, Don't give up on hope. (laughs) And then obviously yeah. he gets mad at him for that, but that's why he's there again. He's showing you what the best of humanity is of learning from your mistakes, trying to be better, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah. what do you think of the Amazon scene and the fights there? There's some good fights. Oh man. The, the, I loved, you said something um, earlier about the, the deviants being the beasts of myth and like kind of adapting to where they are. And at the beginning of that commune sequence, you can see the deviant in the background coming down the tree and it looks like a jaguar, Yep, which makes sense for South America. Um, and that, oh, that was so creepy to me. It was so good. Oh yeah. Um, 
the whole the whole thing was so cool. I Kingo got some cool action moments. That was basically his action yeah. beat because he doesn't get anything at the end. So like that's mm-hmm. your Kingo moment is there. And he's too. he's yeah. ripping them out too. The he's doing like the yeah. curve the bullet from Wanted when he's hitting yes, a yeah, of those. Yeah. and he's got the Kamehameha too with his hands that he can blast out. Mm-hmm. And the whole bit with Quran where he builds up his gun and then spins down under it and goes kasha and then blows its head yes. off. Did you get that? Yes, yeah. sir. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So it cool. was it was great and then the we get cersei doing doing the thing for the first turning, time yep turning the deviant into a tree so she mentions earlier and again didn't catch it on the first viewing but i was like i don't think she can do living beings but that's what she says to dane she says mm-hmm. i can't transform sentient beings and so clearly she can now and mm-hmm. so she's like i have no idea what i did again that's straight from the game and run yes uh, which was awesome to see uh, what else? Oh, we get the awesome sprite conversation with. Um, yep. We also get the, a good conversation between Cersei and Icarus, where she says, "Why did you leave?" Uh, but that also is uh, topped by a very sudden and surprising uh, <laughs> deviant grab of him taking him into the sky. That shocked. I was like, "Ah!" Like when that happened, it definitely yeah. startled me. Uh, we get Thena. She gets her mad weary again. Uh, but this is where Gilgamesh has his yes. beautiful line about, um, you know, I'll be with you on any planet. And uh, he has a pretty good fight against Crow as well. But mm-hmm. Crow wins. He transforms a little more and then runs away like a coward. But that's also because his entire army got destroyed, his army of five, uh, which is, sorry, dude, like <laughs> these Eternals don't mess around. Uh, but yeah, oh, we get the great, like I said, I love that line too. Always carry a backup star. <laughs> Uh, yeah where where do you get where are all these cameras young man i love that uh yeah how many cameras do you have young man uh so yeah that that whole bit from there uh they basically convince druig while they're dumping Thena's dumping his ashes i actually i thought of a very interesting uh tangent between Thena dumping the ashes in and the very next scene is hiroshima of like the ash from hiroshima i didn't catch that until the third one i was like oh wow but yeah he has a great conversation with cersei there too with druid where he he says you know they're that's what makes them human but he he says uh you know oh but you want me to take over the mind of a celestial and i'm just like druid you are awesome man like you're a good person in this movie and it makes me so happy because the way that he walks is just like him in the comics where he's just got the hands behind the back he's very royal and regal but he's actually a good guy and he just kind of wants peace. And so they go to, uh, oh, she says, he says, I don't have enough power. And she says, we need Fastos. And so mm-hmm. then they, the next scene is in Hiroshima. So that's what we see from the trailers, that giant explosion. So now we know that's what that was. We see him just absolutely devastated in the middle of that when um, Ajax shows up and he says, they're not worth saving. And I just thought that that was so powerful and that that was the, yeah. Interesting, too, when you think about, I guess the, the movie doesn't really tackle this, but uh, what about slavery? <laughs> Where well, were that, the Eternals during any of that? Well, my, my, that was my thought when he was trying to introduce the steam engine, because... You wouldn't need uh, slaves. Yes, and that, br- I had a big <laughs> reaction to that, Um like how freaking tragic um that he he is the one that could have helped he could have helped he could have stopped it he could have circumvented the entire thing um 
Oh man, that really that was hurtful. Yeah, he is he is such a tragic character because it's the uh what is it like the is it a, called a Hobson's choice where like he's damned if he does, he damned if you don't. Oh, of yeah. like he can create all this technology that will help everyone, but that's just going to speed up how quickly you get to war versus not doing it at all. Yeah. You enjoy it a little bit, but then you're also not going to let, like they're not really evolving. So it's, it's a really tough spot to be in, but yeah, so he's crying there. So we just get a backstory on cause uh, Drew says it, that he's basically given up on humanity. And Mm -hmm. after that scene, it's like, yeah, I get it. But again, for him, I would have assumed that he would have been over humanity when he saw, you know, everything that happened, like what would that have been a couple hundred years prior, but who knows again, I know they can't be everywhere at once except Macari, but uh, so yeah, the next scene we see is them in the present day and he's working on a bike while his husband is throwing a football with his son, just your classic American family uh, enjoying the suburban life and they show up and he just is like, oh yeah, what is his son's name? Jack. Yeah, Jack is yeah. like Jack, Ben. Uh, these are my friends from college. Uh, what does he say? Yeah. Cindy? Isaac. Isaac. I, and Isaac. Yeah. Isaac and is it Sandy? Sandy. Yeah, I think it might be Sandy. It's either Sandy or Cindy. And he's okay. like, Isaac, huh? And she's, he's like, no, that's Superman. Which uh, Isaac isn't, isn't Ike short for Isaac? Um, no, that's uh, Dwight, Eisen, Dwight D. Eisenhower went by Ike. Oh, because I I thought it no, but that's Ike Ike Harris. Ike Harris, yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> oh Ike Harris, <laughs> yeah. And and I wanted I was wondering if Jack was Jack a tribute to Jack Kirby or was it a Jack? Hmm. Good point. Don't know. know. Very interesting though. I like that. Um, but yeah, he says yeah, that's Superman. He shoots beams out of his eyes. He's got a cape. He yeah. can fly. He says I don't wear a cape. And uh, he says, all right, nice. So what, I call you Clark now? He's like, you called me worse. <laughs> and then they're in there and we get to see him, you know, like we said, kind of hanging out with his son. I love that scene of them peeking over and looking. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, shoot. And they get back and she pulls yeah. the book and then he grabs the book from her and he's looking at it. And I did catch too, for any, any of the eagle-eyed viewers, the page that he pulled open was the Ewoks. No. Uh, but again, there's absolutely no, you know, it's just gotta be randomly that he did that. Yeah. We get the one of the other jokes that I hated in the trailers. I did not like. What is this oh, made yeah. of? Vibranium. The, the the pacing of that joke is not good because he waits, and I get why he waits until whatever chip that thing was stops making a sound as it's vibrating on the ground, like some coin or something fell down. And it once the minute it stops, he says, "Fall collection, IKEA, ass." But I loved yeah. when he said that, and that made me laugh. And I was like, okay, that's better than the trailer, but still. Eh, but it makes sense yeah. that he, you know, has fortified his entire house because, yeah, he uh, he's given up on doing what he's doing, but he hasn't really given up on it. Yeah. And that was just everything about that. Again, we talked about that scene already just around his family has given him his humanity again. And it's it's actually his husband who tells him, you need to go. You need to do this so that we can have a future for our son. Mm-hmm. So Fastos is in. And same thing. He also makes an interesting point in there, too, to say we needed war. That's why they didn't stop us for war, because every time there's war, there's advancements in life-saving technology, which uh, I forgot about. I remember learning about that in school, but yep. just such a, yep. so, so terrible. I mean, I think we're good, right? 
as present present day, we've got the amount of life-saving technology, unless you guys want to develop more. I don't think we need another war to come up with the cure for cancer, (laughs) unless it's the war on cancer. That's, uh, that's the only war I want. So, so from there, we got Fastos and then we go straight to Iraq and, uh, which was super cool. And I was almost wondering, they said that this movie wasn't going to play in a couple of, uh, regions. I don't remember if Iraq was one of the regions, but as I was watching, I was like, why? well because of the scene right before it probably that's oh oh, those world where they still kill gay people yeah i thought it was more of a and i i completely spaced on that yeah Yeah. well and the interracial interreligious marriage possibly i mean i don't know you know he speaks arabic or farsi whichever one it is i i don't know um but that's a good point he could be he could be Muslim and you know they he married Fastos who I don't know what religion goes by, it goes by yeah. Phil yeah yeah uh, but yeah honestly uh no sympathy for any of those countries if that's what they're doing and and hats hats off to Marvel and Disney for saying well screw it then we won't open it yeah. in those those areas anyway because no one's gonna go watch it anyway I mean I, I feel like those are some of their lower markets I, they have they've done a good job in the in recently of not kowtowing to the demands of the other countries I feel like in the past they had a lot of Chinese influence in a lot of the films they would do so mm-hmm. that they would get more people to go see it like oh the finals like like in Age of Ultron we got a giant spot of it that takes place in Korea like oh here we go but now it sounds like they're more like nah we're good we've got enough money yeah. Yeah. We can afford to lose a little bit, which again, good for them. Love that though. Druig takes over the minds of the uh, uh, archaeologists there, makes them leave. They all show up as we see in the trailer that uh, the Domo comes out of the ground, which did you catch as well that underneath that was like a hidden city and it was basically Babylon. It was uh, like oh, all yeah. a bunch yeah, of yeah. blue sort of pillars mm-hmm. and stuff. And I was like, that's cool. So they're essentially saying Babylon's in Iraq, which I think mm-hmm. is what, you know, history tells us. Probably so right. that was cool. We then find our final and favorite uh, Eternal, who's been chilling on the ship this entire time. Can you imagine? She has gone full COVID mode of just yeah. staying <laughs> underground in a ship for centuries, just reading. And I love that they call her Miss Haversham, too. Like, this place yeah. just looks like uh, Sherlock Holmes' is, is office with books everywhere and artifacts emerald tablets king arthur's sword uh just so great and, and i loved her all of her reactions where she's like is it time to go home yet and it was like oh no we got to fill you in on a couple of things first but then she's like so you're telling me x y and z happened and she's like finally my boredom is at an end and i was yeah. like i love that this is a perfect comment but yeah so fastos is in there uses his powers to start getting that ship booted up he starts working on it and comes up with the unimind which i'm sure you were very happy to hear i was clapping got a little fist bump and i even loved the joke too of like now we just need to brainstorm no oh brainstorm we should call it that i was like yeah that actually sounds pretty cool but all of that was cool i i think recovering her and finding her there that's to me the only acceptable answer of why we didn't see more makari was to say yep she's just been hiding in here this whole time the only thing being again they had a pretty rough go at it after being in um central america that i i would have assumed druid and her would have ended up together at some point but clearly he was very upset and had his own devices and was going to do his own thing and so she probably felt the same way and left 
versus mm-hmm. them being together. So I loved that because then she was very, very happy. And that to me was just another great way of showing why they're eternal of like, he hadn't seen them. They hadn't seen each other for hundreds of years and immediately was like, I love you. Come here. I need you right now. Mm-hmm. And he, he uh, uh, King goes like, is this new? Because I hate it. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I laughed so hard at that. I'm like, dude, I love this. Give mm-hmm. me more of it. Um, but that's just so cool. Cause it's like, there's so many petty things in movies again, like we talked about the third, uh, the third act reveal that somebody betrayed somebody. And then you have to spend a whole nother act of them redeeming themselves with the Eternals. It's like, we've been together for 5,000 years. This sort of stuff just happens. And you kind of just grow with it because that's how people are. They're unique and they're flawed. And so you, you see that I, I really liked that, but now the whole, the gang's all, the gang's all here. I, I did. I was wondering if she, because she's been I guess she's been in the domo for a long time but so did she go out at certain points because how did she come to have Excalibur um wouldn't that have been a lot of good questions there maybe maybe she gathered all those things and recently went underground in the domo like in the last 500 years or something yeah yeah exactly because I feel like you could be buried under the ground for a while Five, yeah yeah i would say that's a good point maybe i would love i would love to know more about all of that give me like three more scenes with all of that and I, I would have been happy yeah i i want i want so much more of mercari i know i know and i i have a feeling they know that too because she gets that badass line at the end of the i just i feel it too was just like she's mm-hmm. perfect and so i i know that and she's like thanos's brother but um so the next, this whole bit essentially in the Domo is them creating the Unimind. And at the same time, we are having our betrayal in this scene. So this is when Icarus reveals that he knew all along. He visited Ajak earlier and she had become uh, in love with the humans, like we discussed. And he, he, in a sense, kills her. He doesn't actually kill her. He just throws her to the wolves, literally. And those wolves kill her, those wolves being deviants. Actually, the main deviant, Crow, kills her, sucks her energy out, and then Crow uses that to enhance all of the wolf deviants to being much more powerful deviants. And so he then picks up the body, brings it back, gets really upset, cries, and does a full-on Superman of just blowing some stuff up with his eyes because he can't control himself, which I loved. I was like, that to me, that yeah, deepened that his great. character a bit, that he was that upset. And that makes sense. And again, they've been together for thousands of years, or technically millions of years. Mm-hmm. And uh, but so, yeah, so now we know and then Cersei finds out, which is just devastating. Uh, and then the whole group finds out. And it's even more devastating because there were multiple scenes in there where I was just like, he could kill any of these people at any moment. Like, I loved when um, when Fastos just, like, looks at Makari and says, find the emergence point. Yeah. And she just freaking takes off and goes and is running all around the earth. And that was just beautiful and amazing and incredible. And then she comes back. And she's like, I found it. What's going on? And he's like, yeah. get out of here. And so she just leaves again. I, I just thought that was so perfect. Yep. And I would have I rioted if uh, Icarus had gotten anywhere near her. So, mm-hmm. But I like the way that they did that. And then um, Sprite's like, I'm going to go with you. And so she leaves because she's in love with him. And Kingo yeah. has his great monologue around, uh, you know, I'm not going to hurt you all for my beliefs. Fastos has a really good one as well, like you were saying, around... Um, <sighs> I am not born or made. I do not live for Erisham. I am. I live. I serve my family, and I live for my family. And I was just like, 
go off King, like, hell yes, please more of this because he's just so passionate. And he even says something too, is run. Is that, that's why you kill then he says something like that, where, ugh. what do you, yeah. do you have any notes around that? What do you actually say? I, I, I wrote down the line, which is, I wouldn't change a single thing about who I am born or made, but I do not exist for Arisham. I exist for my family. I exist for my family. Mm, I just like mic drop uh, but yeah and I, i'm glad too because he was about to kill someone else and then sprite Nina. kind of takes him away. yeah right yeah and then sprite yeah. takes him away which i was like good just get out of here yeah and so then the we, we get to the spot where now the emergence is taking place and they found where it is it's at a volcano in the i think probably south pacific is what they said it was in the indian ocean um yeah. something like that and they get there the plan being they're going to combine each other they're going to combine into the unimind use all of their power to give that power to druig so that he can put the giant celestial to sleep which is important to point out because tiamat the celestial that is in the earth is known as the dreaming celestial so i think that i don't I'm sure it doesn't really matter that much but i just thought it was cool that the dreaming celestial were trying to keep dreaming and, and keep asleep but as all things go, it doesn't work out perfectly at first. Icarus kind of figures it out, goes up to the Domo and fights Thena in an amazing fight scene. He says, uh, we've never, he says, we've never had to fight. And he, oh, she, yeah. sa she says, but I've always wanted to. And then just rips into him. And I loved it. Oh my God. Her, her oh, fight. He condescends to her. He says, play nice. It'd be bad to fight me. Right. Yes. Yes. Oh, and you yeah, don't do that. I've always to her. wanted to. <laughs> yeah, I've always wanted to. I was like, oh my god. And then she, you know, he pins her up on the wall, and she joins the Unimind. And he's mm -hmm. again, instead of just killing her, he's like, I need to go to the the point of this. So he leaves, knocks down Druig, and says, I've been wanting to do this for five thousand years, and uh, throws him up into the sky, and throws him down, and then lasers him into the earth. And Makari freaks out. And I loved that yeah. in, in the worst way. I loved it. Like she did such a good job showing her emotion there. And then, yeah, but I, even on the first showing, I was like, Drew, it's not dead. There's no way. Uh, which just shows you how much, uh, like how attached to these characters. I was like, yeah. please, please don't be dead. Uh, but yeah, so then Cersei says, I have to do it. I need to do this myself. And so she's like, I need time. And so they go to fight Icarus down by the beach and we get just... Oh, if you're talking about fights. It's so you, good. You got Makari who, and I, I mean, yeah, obviously she's deaf, but like, she just doesn't even need to say a thing. She mm -hmm. just immediately tackles him and just starts punching him and he can't even react. She's moving too fast to react. That's what I love too, is Kingo's got that line where he's like, I'm going to leave. You know, we can't, it's Icarus. And I love that all of them were like, screw that. I'm still going to try. And it was like, you know, she goes after him, Makari, she's freaking punching him into the side of the mountain until lava comes out and then fastos is the same way he's like oh, i don't care i'll stop him too and he's got that cool machine where he throws the one circle that gets really big and he's got the other little circles that start exploding yeah, in the sky so oh and then yeah. thena same thing thena's got a bunch of great hits she gets on him and then crow shows up and it felt very malicky in the way that he showed up just like on the beach as the tide comes in and the music goes like <laughs> and he's there it's like uh-oh uh-oh what's gonna happen and i got excited because i was like that's one more person to fight icarus but then they all started fighting him and i love that they're like why are you helping icarus and i i completely forgot they're like we don't want him to absorb his power yeah and i was like oh that's actually a great point but he says it's too late 
And then I loved that it was Thena though that got to take care of Crow because yes. she's the only one that could. And she even has that line with Druig on the ship when he she says that Deviant is still out there. And he says, revenge isn't going to bring you uh, happiness or something. And she says, it might. And I was like, <laughs> get it. And so, yeah, they have a great fight in there. Um, you know, she goes into the Mad Weary again, but stupidly on Crow's part, he tries to like pretend to be Gilgamesh. I mean, he's basically being Gilgamesh. He's channeling Gilgamesh, but it's like, you don't realize what you're telling her. You're basically freeing her mind. And so when he says, remember, and her eyes go, I was like, oh, you messed up big time. And then it's just like a one, two, and then completely sliced into pieces. Holy cow. And I got, I got cheers in the theater every time I was in for that scene. Yeah. Which is weird. Cause it's like, there weren't a lot of cheers in this movie, understandably, because again, it's not like an action movie, but that was cool to see that you're that attached to Athena. And I, cause I'd heard someone say like, oh, Athena's barely in this movie. I'm like, tell that to all the showings that I was in because they clearly thought not. They clearly yep. thought that she was perfect. Yep. That's, I, I, there were cheers at that part and there were cheers when Makari is just wailing on Icarus yeah. and he can't even fly away. <laughs> so good. Oh, just amazing. And so, yeah, so now the, the deviant threat has been uh, eliminated. Uh, I would post you with this. Is that, does that, was that a satisfying ending for you in terms of Crow or, cause I could see um, where people would say, oh, he basically was only there twice. He had one, maybe, maybe one possible monologue. He could have probably had some more philosophical conversations around his creation, but instead they just choose to kill him. Yep. I was I, I was okay with it. I liked it because again, I was like, he's not really, he's just a part of this movie and he's a part of it that is dying. So yeah. I wasn't bothered by it. I yeah, I, I, there's there's a part of me that uh, wishes that there was more, but I think there's gonna be more. I think there's gonna be more because that's just that's how the I'll, comic I'll join you in that hope. Um, but Crow. I do, I do think that Crow was a little bit underserved. Yeah. Um, just because he is such a big part of Kirby's original run. It was so strange. To, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Super satisfying to, to see Cena just like one, two, boom, he's gone. Uh, but it was a little jarring because he's such a, a major character in the in the first series mm -hmm. um but like i said i i don't think that they're gone gone so yeah i would i would buy it and i'd be happy to see him return because like i said i think he has something some more to say mm -hmm. i would say about about creation and about religion and you see when she when she <laughs> when she dissects him um you see that he is also synthetic so yeah, he evolved into sort of a synthetic being. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. how, how different are they? Um, yeah, so that's great. Uh, and then at that same time, we find out, you know, again, he, you know, oh, we're buying Cersei time. And so she's dealing with Sprite up top, where again, Sprite has her little monologue about wanting to grow up. And she stabs, um, she stabs Gemma Chan in the back after pretending to be Ajax. Devastating. I was really, I, and on that third viewing too, I was like, wow she forgives her after she got stabbed 
like that just shows the love between them that she's like you know this is just a petty stabbing because i would have been like uh you almost killed me and i i was like oh she can actually die but no she's not gonna die and then we get our druid return where he knocks her over the head with the the rock which was great at that same time though um icarus realizes that and he's like all right i'm done with this and so he flies off but Fasto says, oh, no, you don't, and mm-hmm. knocks him back down and latches him again, just kind of like Doctor Strange in that same sense. And uh, a bit like, kind of just like, it felt, it felt like the Titan fight, where yeah. you had yeah. like Ooh. Doctor Strange holding down on one hand, you've got Iron Man using something to like plant his arm into the ground and to keep him from moving, basically. So Icarus really is clearly incredibly powerful. But I just love that it was, it wasn't like Thanos, right? Like, He's down and he's not moving. And then there's even the scene where he brings more things over and then just like, and then they just like latch onto him again. And so while this is happening, the emergence has begun. And so we start seeing Tiamat's hand coming up and it's and its head coming up. And Cersei gets to the point where she's in the palm of his hand. And so she tries to use her powers and is slowly changing him. And then eventually Icarus is like, I'm done with this and breaks through everything. We get the beautiful Eternals comic shot of him doing this, which is, I'm pretty sure a cover from one of the comics, or it's definitely in one of them. I've seen it before, but was just gorgeous. And I'm sure we've seen it in Superman as well. But so he shows up to (laughs) Cersei and he's about to kill her. His eyes start glowing and then they stop. And then they start glowing again and then they stop. And then a tear comes out of his eye. And she then stops and she closes her eyes in welcoming death to kind of say to him, if you really feel the need to kill me over this, just do it. You know what I just realized? What? I, so one of the through lines in the comics is that they are all telepaths to a degree, not, not to Druids. Right. But I wonder if she, if she put those memories in his head at that moment. Oh, I, that would be really, wow. Okay. So that she's not currently connected to the Unimind at that point, but she had mm. been connected to the Unimind during the other portion. And this goes yeah. back to the conversation someone else was having around how did Sprite and Icarus join in on the Unimind because they yeah. didn't have the bands. And I my two, her. my two, my things for that were maybe they automatically got bands because that's part of the technology of the Eternals costumes, which makes sense. Or that, that they're always, they were always connected to begin with, which is fascinating because that scene is so good. With you the know flashbacks. What? That is true because how else would she heal herself? Because right. Ajax is not alive. Exactly. You see that. Well, but she doesn't even heal herself. She just heals. Like she right. never puts her hand on it, just automatically right. heals. But I have a feeling that's also because of Tiamat. So I think they, they talk about that. That remember that Tiamat's the one that binded all of them. He joined the Unimine. So maybe there's a piece of that there too. That's really fascinating. And yeah, he, he gets a flashback of all of their memories which was really beautiful to see, really sad. And then he just falls to his knees and he says, I'm sorry. And she says, I know. And uh, then he just takes off and we get this beautiful scene or no, not yet, but this is afterwards. But so they all connect via the Unimine Mm -hmm. and she slams back down on the hand and turns the entire uh, celestial to stone which was gorgeous. We get a couple cool Malik bits there of, you know, yes. little waterfalls coming off the side of the celestial and a little, a, a long shot of like the clouds and all of that. Oh, it's just gorgeous. Like but then yeah. Everest. Yeah. Yeah. It did yeah. feel like Everest. Uh, but then yeah, he jumps into, flies into the sky, flies. Icarus has flown into the sun 
a beautiful ending to him. I would say I, there's no, no better redemption in this sense than ending yourself like that Mm -hmm. for, for him. Like that's the only way he could truly apologize for killing those other people and for making such a big, big mistake in terms of betraying his family from that perspective. Again, from him, he didn't really see it that way, but, um, but yeah, that it ends. And uh, so how did you like that? How did you like the way that it kind of wrapped it all up? I, I liked that right before he flew in the sun, flew into the sun, there was a very Superman moment where he flies out of earth's atmosphere and he turns around and he looks at the earth. Yep. I was just like, oh man, that's very, mm-hmm. that's very Superman. Um, I love how nerdy Chloe Zhao is. Yes. Um, I, I, I loved the whole thing. The, uh, it, I, I feel like the only part that lagged a little bit for me was the flashbacks. Uh, um, when she closes her eyes and, you know, Icarus is unable to hurt her that flashback felt a little bit long yes but looking at it uh artistically it was it was very beautiful but um I think that added layer now of like was it telepathy I think that's gonna I'm gonna be thinking about that (laughs) I'm sure we will for years now now that you've planted that celestial seed in my head (laughs) Um, but yeah, so that, and um, okay, so they saved the world, thankfully, but I like that there's consequences from this, that now there's this giant celestial just sitting out there. Also, though, we, we can't uh, neglect the portion afterwards where they all show up back down on the beach, and yeah. Cersei beautifully gives Sprite the ability to be human, and I loved that whole thing. It felt very gods to man in that she's like, you know, mm-hmm. I can, I think I can do this but you will have a very short life and you will die. Like all this stuff. And she's crying and she's like, yes, this is what I want. I just, all of that was beautiful. And then Makari and Druid reuniting was again, like I said, that facial expression she gives is just absolutely out of this world. And, and Druid was the same too. He was so happy to see her, but then she gets to make the line that we are all one. Tiamat brought us all together and I, just, I love the reverence that they have for this dead celestial and that they are still very reverent to this religion that they basically just bucked and are going to have to deal with the consequences of bucking that. But they just so beautiful. She's like, you know, even even Sprite and Icarus. But then she also says, you know, is is Icarus gone? And Cersei says, yes, which I liked. That was cool. Kind of kind of definitive. Maybe not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then we're back. Yeah, we're back in South Dakota. They've all been staying there. Get a couple of good jokes around Fastos and his kid. Uh, I loved the line, though, when she's putting her, Athena's putting her hand in the toaster. And he's yeah. like, are you okay? And yeah. It's so sad. And she's like, I just get confused sometimes. And I was like, like, stop trying to make me cry, Angelina Jolie, please. Yeah. And he says the classic line, me too. And I was like, that's just get me a yeah yeah i'm turning into a puddle and uh but yeah then she shows her power that was great and so then i love that very little exposition around when we find the other eternals do you think that they will accept the truth the same way that we did and she says yes the truth will set them free and i just say no more they're going out to find eternals yes please like that's the perfect sequel i would love that 
Um, but yeah, that, that whole thing was gorgeous. The fact that the Domo got fixed. I love that. He's like, your father fixed this with, with his bare hands. And I'm like, hell yeah, you did. Cause that thing was totaled. Yes. That thing got totaled by Icarus and here it is perfectly fixed. More than happy about that. Uh, but then we find out. So what? So Fastos is going to stay on earth. King Fastos, Kingo and uh, Cersei are staying on earth and Makari, Druig and Thena are all going off into space. Mm-hmm. And so our final scene is Cersei with Dane, again, wrapping up this film, but he reveals that he has a secret to share as well. And Screaming. I was like, oh my God. And I, but I knew I, I had tempered my expectations. I said, I know he's not going to say it. And I know something's going to happen. So I was like, what's about to happen? And he says, oh, my family history is a little complicated. And then all of a sudden her eyes glow and she flips around and fr- <laughs> Erishim shows up in Earth's atmosphere, and that had to have been one of the most breathtaking scenes that I've ever seen. And not only that, he's like, all right, that's it. It's it's literally like the parent that doesn't pay attention to their kids, but then finally notices what they did. Because like I said, he's a procrastinator. He's got a million things going on. He's busy working on millions of universes. So it took him, clearly they said two weeks later. So it took him a couple of weeks to realize what happened. And he's like, wait they killed the celestial okay all right that's it and then he comes in brings the three of them up what was it uh, kingo and uh fastos and cersei and says did you jot down exactly what he says um if not i'll, I'll do my best he says uh he says you've chosen to kill a celestial yes yeah he says all for this earth i will spare them but in the meantime, I'm going to review all of your memories and uh, see if they are worth sparing. And then I will have judgment. And he takes them with him and leaves in the blink of a singularity, which felt a lot like Interstellar uh, in a great way. I love that. And then he's gone. And I loved that there's like a quick pause. And then everyone back on Earth is like, what the hell just happened? Oh, my God. Oh, I would have loved He took them? He took them. Yeah. Cause then in the, oh. yeah. Cause then in the, well, first off he's got them in the palm of his hand yeah. and then they all disappear. You never see them come back to earth. And then Dane, the last scene is Dane Whitman breathing pretty heavy. He's like, what's going yeah. on. And so then we get our post credit scene or a mid credit scene, which is the three of them on the Domo or not the three of them, but the right. other three Druid Makari and Thena are on the Domo in space. They are looking for those other th- for them for Kingo, Fastos, and Cersei. And they say, we can't find them anywhere. Like they, they show that scan of the earth mm-hmm. and say, we can't find them. And it's almost like they disappeared. And so that's when I was like, oh, so he basically took them and we have no idea where he took them. But then Pip the Troll shows up and is introducing Eros, who is known as Star Fox, the brother of Thanos, played now by uh, Harry Styles. Pip the Troll, played by Patton Oswald, and he says, because he's also an Eternal, he's got a little Erisham cube uh, sphere as well, he says, basically, I know where your friends are, and they are in big trouble, or like, we're all basically in big trouble, and we need to get going, and uh, Makari's like, uh, Thanos' brother, um, okay, but I love that, because then that feels like the first time starts playing, and that's what bringing that back, why do you think they chose that song? Cause I have some theories on it being, you know, a tie into the guardians of the galaxy, but 
feels like the first time of what like getting one of these after credit scenes that you actually had no idea about because they screwed that chance when they revealed that harry styles was coming to the mcu or whatever see i <laughs> i took twitter off my phone and i me too i never saw it i purposefully avoided the news um my uh aunt called me about I was like 10 minutes out from the theater and my aunt called me and within like five minutes of us talking on the phone, she goes, so what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm going to go see the new Marvel movie. And she goes, oh, so what do you think about Harry Styles and that post credit scene? I was like, I don't oh know because I didn't want to spoil it. I, I don't know anything about it. And she was like, oh, oops, sorry about that oopsie um, sorry <laughs> thanks so much um <laughs> i i don't know about the song first of all the casting is just brilliant and you Perfect. said that chloe chloe actually had a hand in the casting it yeah. wasn't sarah Halley Finn. Mm-hmm. well um, i'm sure she was part of it too but I'm, i think no, she's yeah. saying that yeah it was from her that's just it's, I'm, I think I'm, it's perfect i'm whatever on harry styles i'm i've heard a couple of his songs watermelon sugar never it's always stuck in my head but i was like oh i have a feeling like lisa's probably gonna really like this oh yeah and she turned to me she was like is that harry styles <laughs> i was like yeah what do you think she was like i like this i was like yeah uh-huh. yeah i had a feeling that's but it's the perfect casting for eros because he's uh he is thanos, so again he's thanos's brother mm-hmm. and he is heavily featured in the guardians of the galaxy stories with adam especially warlock with adam warlock and Pip the Troll is typically the emissary for Adam, but mm-hmm. also they've all been with the Guardians at one point or another. Eros yeah. was like on the original Guardians team. He was part of the whole thing with Thanos and the most recent Donnie Cates Guardians of the Galaxy, but he was also in Jeff Lemire's Thanos run before that, where he like helps Thanos at some points too. So he's a very interesting character. His yeah. uh, superpower is he has the ability to... Um, manipulate people's minds into he basically is a hedonist is the way that it said it it's <laughs> yeah. that he just he loves partying he loves having a good time he has the ability to manipulate people's minds into doing what he wants them to do which is typically also having a good time so yeah. he's usually just manipulating people's emotions which I, I don't remember if that was i'm trying to remember who was discussing that around that would be a very Hi. interesting premise yes around the questionability of that as a power because that goes very much into purple man territory from uh jessica jones of essentially non-consensual um whatever decisions he makes people make when when he's controlling them like that uh but very similar powers in my opinion to mantis i would say yeah he's kind of like the dionysus of yeah great um but yeah it's an it's a good opportunity for marvel to update a character with a pretty questionable past uh wow. in comics um so it'll be interesting to see how they handle that yeah yeah so that was uh just it, it was shocking in a great way again when i saw harry styles i was like I, I said, oh, I think maybe I saw that somewhere. And it, it, very tangentially in that sense, like maybe I had seen Harry Styles as a trending thing on Twitter with no re- no like link to the MCU. So I never was spoiled with it. But when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's perfect. Like, I was like, I like mm-hmm. this. And I love that direction. Very exciting. 
we'll see how that plays out. You love that one direction? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yes. Oh, man, I was about to say, uh, hey. baby, you light up my world. <laughs> there you go. Uh, what is that? No, you don't. Is it you don't know you're beautiful? Um, is that the name of the song? Beautiful. You don't know you don't you're beautiful. beautiful. Yeah, yeah. You know. When I was interning at Target, that song played on repeat on the the screens, so I got to see like their music video of it, <laughs> and I was like, "This is fun. I love this song." Um, but yes, yeah. So I think the one direction they're taking is a wise one. Uh, yeah. At the very end, too, then we get a post credit scene that uh, reveals a couple of other interesting things. So again, to Marvel's credit, this is probably the most important mid and post credit scenes in a long time and that's that is up against shang chi because i would have put shang chi there i think this one's a lot more uh in your face than shang chi shang chi was a lot less of that it was more of like oh now what whereas in this one it's like oh we know what now so dane whitman is back in his office he's got a giant wooden box with his family crest on it and he's very nervous to open it And uh, once he finally does, he reads the inscription inside that says, death is my reward. And uh, he's, again, he's just like, he basically says, I need to do this. And I'm assuming it's because he either wants to figure out what's going on with Cersei to bring her back or to deal with whatever he thinks is coming. Uh, And there's a giant sword in there. And a lot of the sword is wrapped up in a bandage. And there are pieces of the sword as he puts his finger on. And I'll say this, it looked a lot like a Nazgul, like a well, Morgul blade, but like one of the ones that one of the nine would have had, like the mm-hmm. longer ones, you know, when they just had very uh, pointy hilt yeah. in that sense. Um, but when he puts his hand up to the blade, it, it like, like goes to him. Yeah. It's like drawn to him. And it reminded me of Venom, which I know uh, I saw someone post something about that, that in the comics, the Ebony Blade now has ties to Null from Donny Cates' run, who is the god of the symbiotes. I really don't think that that's what they're going for with this, but they really are hinting at it something like that, that this is a symbiotic sword in a sense. And if I'm remembering right, I'm going to defer to you on this, Sarah, but typically from what I'd seen, the Black Knight is, is cursed in a sense, that he he's wielding this sword and he's got to feed that sword in a sense with kills and his death. The Ebony Blade is cursed, yeah. Exactly, yes. Yeah. And so, you know, death is your reward, basically, yeah. that when you die, you're free of this curse, which would make sense as to why he's so nervous to pick the thing up to open it because he knows he's entering into a a life or death contract basically yeah but before he can pick that up we hear a voice that says again just like that are you sure you want to do this mr whitman and uh confirmed by chloe Zhao herself that is the voice of mahershala ali as uh blade which has ties to black knight we talked about that a little bit earlier in terms of mi13 but also this whole supernatural side that marvel is going with werewolf by night moon knight black knight (laughs) and blade and the ebony blade there's a lot of knights and blades coming up in in, (laughs) in the mcu um anything else about black knight that maybe you'd want to add that i'm not so familiar with was there any like other things you were like "Ooh, this this could be um not not anything different than what we talked about when we were talking about the characters at the very beginning yeah um but just that you know, if they do go in the direction of alchemy, like with with the emerald, emerald tablet, tablet um, if they do go in that direction, and we get like Sir Percy of Scandia and King Arthur and Merlin, and then with with Blade, 
there, there is, if you go way back, <laughs> there is a common, there's a common thread between Dracula and Merlin. And so, hmm. okay. yeah, so, and it's, it's all, it's like through the alchemy, all, all the mystical stuff that Marvel does, but there, there is just so much meat that can be unpacked from the, there's so many different directions, so many things that Chloe introduced, um, which is why I say I love how nerdy she is. Yes. Um, there's just, there's so much you can do with this. Midnight Suns, MI13, Excalibur. I, there's so much. I'm so, I'm so excited. I'm yeah. so excited. This is the most excited I have been about the MCU moving forward. I, I haven't felt like this since the first Avengers movie. So yeah. this is just so exciting for me. It's funny because when you look back on it, and that's one of the problems now that we're kind of in this wrap up phase of, of the episode, that's one of the things that I was, I just keep thinking about because I've been this year, this year I've been doing a lot of MCU rewatches and trying to re-rank the movies because I truly feel that this, this is a, uh, a recency bias uh, franchise where for many, for many of us super fans, you know, we see the movie multiple times when it comes out and we're like, this is the best. I mean, we always joke about that with all the, the shows. Oh, like when WandaVision was out, that was the best MCU show. And, and we were like, <laughs> well, obviously, because it's the only one. But then yeah. Falcon and the Winter Soldier came out and it was like, this actually might be my favorite show. And then Loki came out and it was like, this might actually be my favorite show. So there's just this bar none. A Marvel thing is going to be great for the most part. Like they're, they just they haven't gone wrong yet. But the problem is, as time goes on, you start to notice some of the flaws, some of the cracks in the wall. You know, Incredible Hulk isn't really that great of a movie. And it's something I, I'm not afraid to say. We talked about it in our MCU Hot Takes a Celebration episode. Not a big Iron Man fan anymore. I enjoy the films, but I would put them towards the bottom of the MCU. Whereas maybe five or six years ago, I would have had them a lot higher up. And that's just because they keep giving us new things that I like better. I never was a real big Iron fan for the comics. But I was a huge uh, trying to think of a good example. I mean, I had the Eternals is a big example. I had bought the Neil Gaiman hardcover when it had first came out because I'd read it at the library. That was one of the first books I had read when I moved to uh, Colorado because it was like right around when it came out. And I just remember being like, this is so cool. And uh, but so like I've always followed that or like, you know, I'm more akin to Spider-Man than Iron Man. But even the Spider-Man movies, whatever. The point being, over time, I feel like these movies they change so frequently. And so I've learned to appreciate some of them much more in the, in the years coming versus others much less. So it's really hard to be like, okay, I like the Eternals better than the Avengers. Because if you were to, and I've started trying to rate these movies by saying, which movie would you want to watch right now? If you had to choose between the two films, what's the one? Because that's the one you'd like better, right? And mm -hmm. so if you asked me, would you want to watch Avengers or Eternals? Right now, I would say Eternals. But I don't know what that's going to look like in a year or in five years. Because again, if I were to choose between Iron Man and Iron Man 2, I've learned I'd rather watch Iron Man 2, which is a really strange thing. But again, that time piece, just like in this movie, time changes you. So I don't know where this movie is going to land, but I just know that it's in the top. And it's in the top for all of the reasons that we've talked about but it, it does it really has made me more the phase four has made me more excited about the mcu than all of the other phases and i say that 
because everything in those prior phases was hints at the finale at Endgame, right? It was it was a Thanos thing here or a, a Thanos thing there or something to build up to one of the sequels, which is great. But now we're getting all of these, these teasers and tags for things that I have no idea what they're going to be. Whereas in the other ones, it's like, we had a pretty good idea, right? And that's the whole point. And that's, I think, what Marvel is trying to do. That was the final chapter in that MCU book was the future. Mm -hmm. And it was talking about what, where do we go next? And Kevin Feige, he said it before in interviews, but it's like, they did it, right? They had their three phases and they made something that no one will ever be able to replicate probably in our lifetime. But I, I would hope that I'm wrong because I love seeing great films. So if someone else does it, great. But how do you top that? He said, we need to go in a completely different direction and we need to constantly keep upping our game to doing things that are different and doing things that are unexpected. And you can see that from these credit scenes that they are planning something that I have no idea about what it is, which is incredible that we are 25 movies in 26 movies in, and we are back to the square one of saying, I don't know what they're planning. We're literally in that phase one scene again. And I'm so happy to be in that space. Me too. Yep. Me too. Yeah. So the last last thing we'll talk about here is just a couple of those themes, just in case we need to dive into them a little more, because I, I wanted to say again, I think the big themes from this movie, one of them is around faith and belief. And so just that conversation of getting to see all the different types of belief that people had. So I, I listed out Icarus as being the religious zealot, which is, you know, one type of belief, the person who's incredibly zealous about it. But then you have Ajax, who believes in it, but then kind of learns maybe... I, I, something happens. It's the person who has a crisis of faith, basically, and says, maybe this religion isn't for me. And then you have Kingo, who says, I do believe in this religion, but I am not going to push my beliefs on other people. And then you have Cersei, who is anti all of it. And is I just, I love humanity more so than I love these gods. And so I just thought it was so cool to have all of those in there, but then in the beyond portion of it to actually have a celestial God in this film makes the conversation that much more important because it's tough sometimes to have a religious conversation when the thing you're talking about is a feeling or a belief, right? Like you talk about God and it's like, okay, well, you know, could, can God come down and have this conversation with us? Let us know, you know, what we're doing wrong. And you hear that all the time of, you know, all these bad things happening. Where was God or the people who are like, if there is a God, just strike me down right now. And they don't get struck down. So it's like, you know, it, but in this movie, we get celestials and they are actual gods creating life. So to have that same sort of religious conversation around something actually tangible is really fascinating because why would you stray from that religion when you know there is a giant God out there waiting to destroy you if you were to, I mean, he says it multiple times too, do not fail me. And it's like, okay, I would be like, yes, sir, you got it. <laughs> you created me? No problem. All right, I'll, yeah. I'll get this all taken care of. So uh, did you, you got those vibes as well? Yeah, and I, you know, I think if this movie had come out two years ago, pre-pandemic, I would have found it a little harder to believe um but i think huh. i think seeing the way that some humans have reacted to actually seeing and witnessing things happen um and then refusing to modify their behavior at all it's just uh, 
human nature is just a, a bizarre thing to me. I, I, I don't know. I have less answers now than I feel like I ever have. Yeah. Um, it's, that's a really good point, Sarah. That's, I, I would have been, cause I mean, this movie was originally set to come out in 20, uh, last year. Yeah. So that would have been November of 2020, but even then it, yeah, it is wild to see where humanity goes from here. Cause you look at it too, with like the, the anti, the, the fervor against churches being able to meet and gather because of COVID restrictions. Yeah. And you, you've got the one side of it as saying, well, separate church and state, just let the church do whatever it wants. The state shouldn't be telling what the church to do. But then at the same time going, well, no, this is like a confirmed science that if people are close to each other, they're going to spread a disease. It's just, yeah. that's how we've been for hundreds of years and no one cares. You don't care when your kid comes home from school sick and then yep. gets you sick. Uh, but suddenly now we're all anti this or that because of politics. Yes. And it's just fascinating to see, again, with the, the conversation around seeds, the seeds these political fanatics have, whether that's on the right or the left, of planting these seeds of fear in people that make them do completely different things than they would normally do, where like a logical person would not be making these decisions, but for seeing something on the news that some person in power told them. And it's, it is, it's really fascinating to say then, well, then who are your gods? Because if God, if God is telling you to love everybody the same, you're not listening to that God. So are you listening? So then what are you saying there? Are you making a false idol of this leader that you're seeing on again, conversations that nobody wants to have but yep. those are the sort of things you need to talk about because i guess especially in the pandemic when you got nothing else to do this is a perfect <laughs> movie to sit in and start thinking about that thinking about what your faith is and why you have faith in the things that you have faith in are you putting your faith in the right things because at the end of the day it really is all about you right like you know when you die it's just you and then we don't know what happens afterwards so do the things that you love, be with the people that you love and believe in the things that you want to believe in that you know are right. Um, just make sure, please, dear God, you do your research on those things before <laughs> you choose to believe in them because following something blindly is what Icarus did. And yeah. as you can tell, that did not end well for him. So there's that theme. The other thing was around love. And uh, there are so many different versions of love that we got to see in this movie. And again, a testament to Chloe for being able to pull that off on screen and for Marvel allowing it, because like we even said in Black Widow, there are not a lot of romance. There's not a lot of romance in the MCU. And we had a ton of romance in this mm -hmm. movie. So you've got Icarus and Cersei, which is the, you know, forever eternal love, so to speak, the very romantic and like we said, sexual love. You then have Icarus and Sprite which is the unrequited love, I think is how you would say it, the unobtainable love of yeah. somebody loving someone even though they know that they don't want them, uh, which is sometimes some of the saddest love of all, especially in a situation like that where they don't reciprocate that love, but you have to deal with it anyway. Kingo and Sprite, the great friendship love of just caring about somebody and wanting to be friends with them and you know everything that goes with that. Gilgamesh and Thena, like we said, brother, sister, father, daughter type thing, or, or just, again, as humans, we need to put labels on everything. And I think it's just beautiful watching this without doing that. And I think Chloe challenges mm -hmm. you to, she challenges you truly to put labels on it because you don't need to, these things don't need to be labeled. They're just, here's all these different ways that you can love somebody. And it doesn't matter what you call it. It doesn't matter what it is that you want for yourself, just as long as you're able to feel that emotion. I mean, who wouldn't want to have someone look at them like Makari does to Drury, right? Yeah. 
And that's a completely different type of love. And then the other one being like Fastos with his family of him wanting to build a life for himself and having this inspiration come from an unlikely place. It's just cool to see all of these things put up on the screen in the mighty Marvel manner. So I love that. Um, any any thought, final thoughts you had on that piece? I just, I, I think um, for me, uh, the the love that has stuck with me is Fastus, his total 180 with um, going from telling Ajax they're not worth saving to his statement at the end was saying, I only exist for them for yeah i think even says the humans he says we're not going to give them a choice yeah i I love love his his journey it's beautiful yeah oh there's another piece too i wanted to call from the neil gaiman comics at the very end uh when the celestial i don't know what celestial this is they don't really say the names in it but the celestial tells him that now he's going to watch and that once he has seen enough he will judge yeah. And then he basically says Makari in the comic of Neil Gaiman is playing the role of Cersei in the movie and that he's the one the celestial communicates with mm-hmm. and uh, does all of that. And I'm going to double check before we wrap up uh, if there's any other things in here. Um, oh, uh, I wanted to answer this. This was a question that came from, uh, I was going to say <laughs> one of our listeners, uh, but yeah. tech, you know who this is, everyone. This is Anthony. He's been on a couple of our, uh, couple of our episodes, uh, but he had just asked, are all of the Eternals in the movie from the comics and are there a lot oh, yeah. more of them? And so the answer is all of them that are in the movie are from the comics and there are a lot more. There are a hundred Eternals. Uh, and Kieran Gillen's run does a pretty good job of listing out who all, who they all are. Many of them, I have no idea. I don't know if he made the names up or what, but there's a lot of them in there too. That's like, oh, that makes it like Eros, Thanos, Alar, everyone. There's different sects of Eternals and different areas where they live. Some of them live on Limb- Olympia. Some of them live on, uh, I don't I- remember what, Titan. Yep, that's one of the factions, exactly. Uh, and then, yep, uh, we talked about Clojure, talking about Superman and Man of Steel. Yeah, uh, that that's Kieran Gillen, not Karen Gillen. <laughs> yes, absolutely correct. I, I, I think they may be from the same place. They, I think they might be. They, they, he's either Irish or Scottish, something like that. He's a great writer, though. He also did the Darth their Darth Vader run, the initial one for Marvel. Yes which was phenomenal. He did Wicked in the Divine. He did uh, a very quick one about, um, was it, it was about Athens or something like that that was pretty cool. So he's a oh, very cool. creative guy. The, the only thing I would add about Anthony's question is they are all from, the, these Eternals are all from the comics. Some of them have been gender swapped. Cor- yes, thank you. Yep. Ethnicity swapped, a lot of them, um, but they're all based on comics and kieran does a good job explaining that in his story i believe icarus says at one point that it is not uncommon excuse me that every 20 to twenty-five thousand years uh, an eternal will change their gender or their race just because they're bored basically which makes total sense he said you know being the same person for thousands and thousands of years it's like why not try something else so that makes sense and that's why in that story sprite comes back as a a female and that's why that's it so they're explaining that. So that makes total sense. And I, I buy that. Plus, I like this Eternals version so much better than the comics version because they're all kind of the same. They had no, uh, a lot of them were paper thin 
and they yeah. it's like okay cool you you like fighting that's a cool concept for a character yes exactly very one-dimensional so yeah uh overall wrapping this up as you guys could guess we loved this movie um thought it was fantastic and can't wait to see more eternals uh sarah before we fully and finally wrap up is there anything else that you need to get out or is your cup empty Oh, my cup is the fullest it's been in a long, long time. Good um, answer. I think, uh, I, I, you, I think you said you give it a nine out of ten. Um, and I, I really, I really want to give it a ten. I feel like that's what really, I'm saying. I feel like over time, I'm gonna end up bumping it up to a ten. And I think if we're doing like CGC grading, I think I would do like a nine point six. 9. That sounds, 8. yeah, that sounds really fair. Honestly, I yeah. would do that too. I think so. That's a great way to look at it. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Sarah, thank <laughs> you so much for taking this journey with me. I do want to point out to you and our listeners who aren't checking back in or checking back on it. We did go longer than our Black Widow recording, which is good because this movie deserved to have more to be yes, talked about did. than Black. Obviously, the things we needed to talk about there was more of a uh, a therapeutic release of perhaps some frustrations <laughs> where this this is more of a celebratory catharsis in mm-hmm. a sense so thank you so much for taking this journey with me i really appreciate it we we just talked for five thousand years <laughs> <laughs> it was so good i'm so glad we got to do this and i, I look forward to hopefully more of chloe Zhao's stuff in yes yes please i hope so too and i actually hold on while our listeners are here while this is live let me uh, go on to Office Mojo and see if they have the. Uh, uh, oh, okay. Here oh, we go. I don't know what's happening? I'm so excited. Uh, let's see. Marvel's Eternals to boost the box office. This, oh, this was November 5th. Uh, okay. It looks like latest weekend, November 5th through the 7th, 71 million is what they have Ooh. it projected as, which is I'll over the projections. They had originally predicted. That it would be, they were like, it could get to 70 is what mm-hmm. they said. And then as the week went on and those very critical reviews came out, everyone started tempering that and saying, yeah, it's probably going to be more. I think they said like mid 50s, 60s. This is what this is saying. And let me see if it's projected. Uh, it does look like it is estimated. Uh, I will check one last spot, though, because there's a guy I follow on Twitter that will typically post these. And he was posting some earlier this morning for um for this so let me see real quick yeah top five domestic box office uh they've got it he's got it listed as 71 million as well uh so he's got multiple tweets first one marvel's eternals and and this is uh erc box office is the account i would highly recommend it he always posts about anytime there's box office news he does a really good job uh marvel's eternals is the number one film in the universe landing with 71 million domestic 161 million worldwide. Uh, it says the Eternal Star Chart: 61% male, 47% 25 and up. Uh, cinema score was a B. Domestic debut of 71. International debut of 90. And the budget of 200 million. Top five markets internationally this weekend were Korea, UK, France, Mexico and oz which i don't know what that is oz maybe it's australia uh maybe i'm surprised india is not in there 
uh i yeah i wonder if that was one of the ones i'd have to double check and see what they said was a no also premium formats marked 37 percent of the eternals box office this weekend and the domestic breakdown is 9.5 million on thursday night for previews 21.2 on friday 24.1 on saturday and 16.2 estimated today so very, uh, very good showing. I am not surprised. I'm actually, well, I'm a, I'm a little relieved, I'll say, just because, again, there was a lot of, uh, there's a lot of negativity around this movie for a lot of very interesting reasons. And that that was a piece that uh, I think we've talked about it in multiple spots in the episode. So I won't talk about it again, just to say, you know, there's really no reason to to give the haters, the, those haters. Yeah. If, you, if there were things about this movie you didn't like and legitimately just didn't like them, that's totally fine. And, and I'm, I'm sorry for you, but at the same time, I also totally understand. We can't all like every movie. They can't all be zingers. Yeah. But if you're not liking it because of uh, a reason that's kind of unfounded, then uh, that's a different story. But yeah, or and if you're one of those people that's just kind of like, oh, I don't know. I don't know why I didn't like it. Uh, then, you know, challenge yourself to dig into that. Yeah. Go see the movie again. Yeah. see if it uh, see if it hits you a different way but yeah that's that's all we ask always on this yeah. on comics and cinemas question everything do a deep dive on yourself see why you're feeling the way that you're feeling but at the end of the day we all love movies and we all love when the box office does great so it sounds like this is a fantastic uh, fantastic weekend for marvel hopefully we hear some good news coming out of this especially with disney plus day uh next friday uh, i will be recording an episode with our friend kevin on i believe the following monday is our plan to go over everything that comes out of disney plus day all the highlights especially when it comes to marvel and star wars so again sarah thank you so much uh for coming on here we always love having you yes thank you for having me i love it yeah of course and for comics and cinema i'm your host alex klein thank you guys so much for listening and we will see you at the movies